GX1000 represents the uninhibited fantasy of the skater, a vision of the world where skaters really do rule the streets. And what you get when you see a GX video is a nameless entourage of people committed to showing us what is possible if we just let go of every tether we have to our responsible lives and given wholly to our intuition on the board. A fluid mass flowing down the hills like water, a liquid in the fog. There they are, cutting through the gridlock cars and snails pace pedestrian movement to show that in a fast crowding city, jubilation doesn't come from a booming industry promising a moderate and efficient life, but a cacophony of yips from the homies as you embrace the uncertainty of crossing the streetcar tracks while breaking the speed limit. When I saw Yanni, Matt, Sean, Al, and so many others who will stay titleless in my mind, along with Pablo, I got to a world where skating was central. Look at all the people who put down what they're doing to watch all the hill bombers. Little do they know, they've just witnessed the most radical and impressive thing they will ever see in their lives while they were just going to work or getting home from the store. If we consider the sum total of all daily American life, GX videos to me were one of the small few segments of perfection. Now please don't ask how it happened. It doesn't and it won't change anything. It's not better or worse if the person who gave so much of themselves to us was being reckless or responsible. A skater's death is a death felt by all of us. And Pablo really did give us so much. He cut his head open for us. He flipped off cars for us. And he pushed down the steepest streets so that we could all glimpse at what was possible if we would only just let go of the bullshit that was holding us back and give in to our body. Like I said, GX to me is a representation of the best part of skating. And what's more, Pablo was the best of what GX had to offer. The purest and most radical part of the top 1%. So good that you knew his name even though he went without a title. You had to go looking for it if you wanted to know his name or see more. So now that we all do, we should remember that name as long as we can and invoke it anytime we see a hill too steep for us to step to. Fuck, man. I think that's incredibly beautiful, Ted. Yeah, thank you for that. It's a fucking... Yeah, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, one, if, if I could say one thing um, more on top of that is that um, when when mm. some skaters ha- have left us, a lot of people have you know had a lot of experiences with, with a sort of long history with them. Um, but he... What, what is just so unbelievably heartbreaking is that he was 26 years old. He was so young and that every account of him that's come out um, in the last day or so is that he was just the most positive, coolest dude. Um, Tony V posted a, a screen cap of, of a DM conversation between him and Pablo. And it was just like it was just him saying how thankful he was for everything and for ev- and for everyone in his life. And it was just like, I mean. You don't get a lot of kind of wholly positive um, people like that. Especially at 26, you know, yeah. like that's like, <clears throat> it's hard to be earnest when you're in your mid twenties and you kind of, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I just feel like the you know the the other really like unique thing about him is that there was so little marketing behind him, and he was just such you know like we live in an age where like everyone is is identified as a you know like the the pure incarnation of Stoke, and it's sold to us and plastered all over magazines and videos, but like everything kind of suggests that he like actually was that that I don't know kind of legendary SF spirit. Yeah. He pushed downhill. Like <laughs> he wanted more and yeah. end of my like checklist of things that make you a, a super sick skater. He pushed downhill like six times, like didn't just tap. It wasn't he one push. Pushed. No, six <laughs> full <laughs> legit pushes. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen too, it's been really touching, but also, um, Sorry about that. It's been really touching, but also just super sad. Um, There's like a couple women from like the Bay Area skate community that were like really close to him and them posting like videos and clips because I wasn't super familiar with GX or like this person in particular, but um, definitely seeing all of the clips and everything and just the way that like people respond, you know, just as um, I don't know, just seemed like a really special human being. What a loss. Yeah, so I guess it goes without saying um, this episode's for you, Pablo. Hell yeah. Rest in peace. I've always known that he had podcasting in him, you know? I mean, I listened to that shit firsthand go down, you know? I was hearing, like, the progression every day. He was amazing with Bing, and it was, like, always known, like, what this fool said. Like, what did Kyle say on the city? Like, boom, something. Like, every day, he'd have some new word, you know? find this or Kyle said anachronistic like that and it was fucking dude it was sick man I feel like I feel like it's dangling by a fucking strain of Ted Barrow that even sounds right I think about what is this crack gonna do okay what if I don't get my foot on in this position am I gonna hit my shin first or how am I gonna fall and where am I gonna have to put my hand to break myself from the fall and then what if I hit my tooth out on that corner right there it's a little podcast excuse but whatever What's up, skaters? Welcome back to another episode of Vent City, a place to talk about skateboarding and all its bullshit. Back on the pod tonight, we've got the full squad. Kristen Ebling, Ted Schmitz, Ted Barrow, and Kyle Beachy is back. Uh, This is a pretty exciting episode to record because it's the first one we're doing after our initial launch. Uh, There's actually real humans out there listening, loving, hating, or having totally ambivalent experiences with the show. (laughs) Uh, For real, though, the response has been totally humbling and uh, clear that there are more than a handful of neurotic skaters out there who want to nerd out on skating as much as we do. Uh, I I do want to clarify a few things while I have you, though. Um, Like we said before, we want the show to be as dynamic as possible. So there's a good chance you may have come expecting one thing only to feel totally abandoned when we're knee-deep in gnarly town. 
we're just kind of sorting this out and playing it by ear, but hopefully after the first handful of episodes are out, we'll have a handle on the different formats and what's working. Uh, some, like this one, will include in-depth interviews. Others might be just us talking trivial skate shit. At best, we want this thing to function like a conversation between friends. Uh, we recognize that there's not a lot of places to hear public opinions about skating, but we're not claiming to be an authority on the matter. Well, at least I'm not. Uh, we're just trying to get a conversation started. Uh, we're intent on not bringing on advertisers so we can keep it that way. Hopefully you'll disagree with some of the dumb shit we'll invariably say, like when Ted B mistakenly said, longboarders don't get kicked out of skate spots. They do. Uh, but at least you'll have I mean. something to springboard off of. Uh, this show is not for everybody, and that's cool with us. Please do yourself a favor and don't hate listen to a two-hour podcast. Your life doesn't need that. Just go for a walk or fucking volunteer somewhere. So with that being said, uh, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, get that I heard your wife doesn't need that, but yeah, your life, your life too. Are and you, if you guys want to be authorities on the matter, then you you know you're you're more than welcome to. But I'm just going to give you the space for it. That was kind of mind blowing that you recommended that people go for a walk or a volunteer. Usually, the the kind of rote retort is just go skate. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> shut up and skate. I've literally this says to shut up and volunteer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually am going to feel pretty comfortable being the authority on the matter. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> somebody, somebody said the other day, like, who are we to say who's who's a skater and who's not? And oh, I was yeah. like, skaters. we are we. What the fuck are you talking about? We're yeah. skaters, goddammit. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I had a very similar conversation, too, and I found myself getting so angry. Uh, and it's, yeah, I think, I don't know. We all do kind of do the same kind of skateboarding but that is no matter where you fall on that spectrum that's mainstream skateboarding as i understand it and it has been for a long time and yeah it's i don't think that downhilling on its own with a longboard and a leather fucking motorcycle suit is skateboarding in the same way that i practice it <laughs> yeah but and I, yes. I'll, oh sorry no please let me cut you off. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to say, too, that there's a fundamental difference between, you know, hating on people for their gender or their like actual identity, like who they are as a person, as an individual versus like making fun of or, you know, having a claim to skateboarding um, as like our interpretation of skateboarding. Like, I think there's a fundamental difference between like excluding or making like women feel uncomfortable in skateboarding versus like making someone that like just chose to be a longboarder versus a stunt skateboarder like we are. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's a difference. And I think when you kind of mix the two, it's it's not really fair and it's not, you know. Yeah, not all exclusion is the same. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, yeah, that, 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 that's all I felt to say. You know, my grandma's never skated. I don't consider her a skater. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so my grandma rides boosted boards in that's, heaven. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, that took a turn. Yeah. <laughs> my grandma is not alive. <laughs> Public service <laughs> announcement. I don't know. I got into it a little bit the other day on the um there's this application uh called Twitter. Hmm. <laughs> and what it <laughs> gotcha. what it allows for is incredibly nuanced debate among incredibly thoughtful and patient people. Um yeah. But yeah, no, no, no. I, you know, it was like, it was a fruitful discussion. It was like, all right, well, what are we actually, what does it mean to say that you're a skateboarder? Like it, it, it definitely meant something in the past 
And if a lot of us agree that some of the some of the realities of the past were kind of ugly and kind of hideous, it can it can seem almost logical to say, well, therefore, the way that we thought about skateboarding in the past is itself um, hideous and exclusive and bad. Um, and I just don't know that I totally agree with that. Like, I think, I guess my, the, the big sort of takeaway I got was I think we're actually at a place where skateboarding is broad enough, is inclusive enough, is full of people who are doing it for different reasons and doing it in different ways that in fact, it's actually a better time to, talk shit. It's a better time. It's a healthier time to make judgments and claim authority because someone else can claim a, like a parallel authority and they can say, no, in fact, this, and we can, we can disagree and we can talk about it instead of like, you know, kind of clutching our pearls and saying, whoa, is us, how, you know, who are we to say what's better or worse than anything else? So yeah, I think, I think we're, we're big enough and nuanced enough and maybe healthy and robust enough to speak critically about it Mm -hmm. yeah and one thing too to mention is that media and outlets are so much more decentralized whereas like when i grew up skating the only way you could have authority in skating was to be like an editor of a magazine or make a video or something like that or be like a pro or industry but like now like where there was like really significant gatekeepers like there's really like the gatekeeping doesn't exist in every like realm so like anybody could make a podcast anybody could make a zine anybody could make um, an Instagram account and start to have a conversation and share their viewpoint. So I just want to encourage every other, you know, every person out there that they have that ability to do that. Hell yeah. Make a new gate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, so X games, real street came out this morning and I asked everyone to watch all of them. And so we did it. Uh, I forced you to, Dude, Uh, I hate homework. And yeah, so our homework is to watch 12, 12, maybe 10. I don't know how many. I watched like six. I feel like there were 40. <laughs> I didn't get through them all. Yeah. Uh, so what do you get? What are we thinking, guys? I, I like saw just the list of skaters and I got immediately demoralized and I am going to be totally real. I just watched Corey Glick. Ooh, he's a great skater. Yeah, yeah I love Corey Glick. Um, a great skater who put out the most boring one minute of footage he's ever put yeah. out yeah, for well, X Games. That was going to be the other thing I was going to mention. I, I think that's the design of the contest. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, except for Jamie Foy's Big Spin in a Pool. Um, or wait, no, fuck. That was actually from a different thing that Jamie Foy put out yesterday. <laughs> that was a Red Bull video. <laughs> that was a Red Bull video. <laughs> All right. I think that should, that should be telling, though, is like, what, what that kind of like X Games is trying to do with this model of like, here, just like shit out a hot minute of, of dope street footage like we don't fucking care anymore because we're already just like so inundated with more and more footage you know like i can't possibly measure this meaningless competition like or measure these skaters in this meaningless competition uh against like other parts you know like my <laughs> my brain is just too full and uninspired is it even a real part you know what i mean like is this really like i mean like i said before i don't watch boys skating because I'm reverse sexist so um, so it's like hard for me to know like 
<laughs> like I'm watching this. I'm like, is this this throwaway footage? Like I have no I, idea. Kristen, let's take Let's go off on a tangent. Wait, real quick, real quick. Can we go off on a tangent? Because that was, I got some feedback from someone who, who did mention that. And that's what you're referencing that, uh, that because you don't, you claim to make jokes about not caring about boys skating that you're maybe not inclusive of boys skating and that and some people kind of felt slighted that you know well as a man like if i were to say well i don't really care about women skating that it would get me in all sorts of fucking trouble and so what do you what do you have to say about that kristen what do you say to those people out there well hi nice to meet you (laughs) my name is kristen i use she her pronouns and what i'd like to just quickly explain is that Sexism was created by men. Men benefit from sexism. Sexism is still real. One example is the wage gap. So on average, women make 75 cents for every dollar that a man makes. It's even worse for black, Hispanic, and also indigenous women. Um, Hispanic women, for instance, make around 50 cents to the dollar that like your average white guy makes. Um, And so given that, um, and knowing that men historically benefit from sexism, when a man says something sexist, the implications are that it's gonna to continue to create a system and feed a system and people's thought processes and things that lead to real sexism that women experience, such as the wage gap, like I mentioned before. Um, and so when I say something sexist, first of all, it's a response. It is funny. It is, in a way, bringing light to the subject um, versus if a man says something sexist, the implications are that other men will listen to that, other people will hear that, women will internalize it, and will continue to feed the sexist system that we have. So all that's to say is that when I say or do something that could be considered sexist, it's really not the same. Um, The implications are not the same, the reality is not the same, the impacts are not the same. Um, And so fundamentally, there are two different things. So I would say sexism that, um, or like saying something sexist that uh, would continue to feed the system is is different than if I say something to uh, just make fun of sexism as a response to it. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Uh, I think Ryan, you said on the last pod that like men skateboarding, or maybe it was the first one. Men skateboarding just feels really crowded. I just like sure. there's so many different people. And um, when I grew up skating, I watched like all men skateboarding. But then as I got older, and a women's scene began to emerge, and websites like the side project came out where I could go and learn about women skating and then women's skate videos came out and then now to Instagram. I have so much content and sure. I'm more inspired and excited by watching women and trans skaters than I am watching men's skaters. Um, I just relate to it more, but I still watch like all content and I got, I got no shade to throw. I have all nothing but respect for, for guys out there skating, as long as you're not, you know, a piece of shit that needs to go to therapy. But I we covered like, that in episode one. I'd uh, like to throw some shade on one. This, this shit, though. I mean, all of these dudes, all of these fellas are, first of all, from California, aside from Brockle, right? He's a Phoenix dude, right? No, Jamie Ford's uh, from Deshaun. Florida. Deshaun's yeah, but he's, from, he resides uh, now in California. Like, all of this footage is from oh. California, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Deshaun's from Chandler, Arizona. He lives in California. Uh, Robbie also lives in in California. And Cor- right. Glick is from Illinois. You should know he's that. He's from Cal? Chicago. Yeah, oh, bro. he sh- he hate no. He's from first of all, he's from fucking Gurney, which is just <laughs> oh about in between God. Chicago and Milwaukee. It's That's where a six, California uh, of, how, of Illinois. It's, dude. Where, it's where Six Flags is, and he hates how far it. is that like, from Itasca? <laughs> in interviews, he shits on. He's like, I got the fuck out of Gurney, thank God, and I made it to fucking Long Beach or wherever he's rotting right now. But hold on a second. Hold on. Have you been to California, <laughs> dude? <laughs> what, is, what? Like, why uh, do you? Fu- California is a huge fucking state, man. And you yeah, can have how, someone like Pablo there, and you can have someone like I, I don't know McClung. Like. Why are tell you me, so tell me what, pers- what percentage of all of these clips wasn't was filmed outside of let's say a twenty mile radius of uh, where the pro downtown L A. No, like <laughs> LA, this was all L A. footage. It was sixty percent handrail footage. It was it was it. I mean, Mason was great. You're, Mason is great. You're like demanding authenticity from the X Games. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't kill them to have someone Some represent a different part of the United States of America. Maybe. I feel you on that. It's not like a real, I don't know. It's also sponsored by a Band-Aid company. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> real is in you the name. But it's real. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and then the other name is Streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, they put both words together. It has to Double be real. Did we, uh, what is it? Are we voting? Are the six? Are the, are the five of us voting here or what? Sure, uh, why not? My vote is for Deshaun always, um, because I love him. He's from Chandler. I'm, I'm I agree. He likes. I like that he bends his knees when he lands perfectly. I aspire to do that when I skate. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he's just a great guy. I'm voting yeah. for uh, for Corey Glick because that's the only part part I saw, and also he's from <laughs> Illinois, and I was doing that to kind of ally with you, Kyle. But now I'm doing despite you. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, also, I think that he's finally on Vans now. Uh, I, I I could be wrong. I'll have to check that. But I think when when Dill left, it opened up a spot for Glick, and I, I think that's actually a way cooler. Um, Wait, Dill was on Vans but left. Yeah, Dill's on Adidas now. I didn't know this. Um, uh, yeah, Ryan, out of the loop. You're a veteran of this, though, right? You wanna you wanna tell us anything about the real streets? I mean, yeah, I did it. Yeah. I, yeah, I did it last year, and I fucking lost. Uh, yeah, so uh, last year I did it with Blevins and my filmer or my friend and filmer. <laughs> my and, filmer. Yeah, my personal <laughs> filmer. Uh, no, uh, yeah, Sinclair asked. Um, me to do it and it seemed like it was a decent amount of money to just even if you lose which I was pretty much going into it thinking and are you uh, willing to tell us how much money it is right yeah they gave us all I don't know what it is this year but they gave us all $2,500 each so $2,500 for the filmer and $2,500 for the skater which for a minute long video part that takes about three or four months to film is pretty good money I guess for some people maybe not for some of the one of the things I noticed in the contest is that there's there's a pretty big disparity of right of skaters who are like like Taylor Kirby is an Uber driver I know this because my contractor was in San Diego like a f- few months ago and was like you know Taylor Kirby he drove me to the airport oh, um, shit. yeah and yeah so there's like guys like him that are working class skaters and then there's you know the I don't even know who else was in it. That there's some. Well, Foy doesn't need twenty five hundred yeah. bucks right now. I'm sure. No, but I, I think those guys. Yeah, those guys could probably take the contest though. Yeah. Huh. Um, 
But yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a relatively painless project. They don't really, you know, the worst part about it is that you have to find the rights to the music that you skate to. And so it's hard to make the edit not feel like a pre-roll. Hmm. And I struggle with that. And I think a lot of, I mean, if you watch the edits, they, they all kind of have that feeling of just, I don't know, it's really weird because I was thinking back to like some of the early parts in uh, videos like Thrill of It All and stuff. And like, remember Adrian Lopez's part? That part was like a minute long. And I remember growing up thinking that that was like a full length video part and then i watch it now and it's like eight tricks and yeah it's weird because these parts just don't i don't know well they don't really feel like video parts i guess is the, the bottom yeah line. i was thinking when i was watching it that it would have been better if it was just raw footage and wasn't the there was not a song at all that's a lot of stuff i mean so often it happens too you know with with skate parts that go up and actually cory glick is a really good example of this where he i feel like a big part of what launched him to um to the ranks that he's in now um other than his king of the road performance was he had a part in a foundation video that had a song and that song probably had a guitar in it um probably some <laughs> rocking drum <laughs> and uh what are you talking about <laughs> talking about rock and roll I you ever see. heard of it i see it's and, like real street uh, and, and um but then after that, his rough cut came out. Uh, and I remember having seen the part and I was like, oh, that guy seems like a fine, good skater. And then his rough cut comes out and you go, holy shit, this guy gets fucking smoked every time he gets one of these tricks that he lands perfectly. Right. But when you see it in the in the sort of typical skate part, you go, oh, this shit looks just way too easy for him. The song is so bland. Like, I don't get anything from it. But when you see somebody like, jump in hurting for it and just and landing it getting psyched fiving his friends when you have that kind of complete picture that is just raw footage yeah it, it it's way more um it's way more charismatic it's way more uh exciting and so yeah I'll, i think a lot of times it would just be better just I, raw I mean, footage. Would, yeah totally i'm at the point where i hate a song in any video i'm just like this is like like i don't want to hear this you know <laughs> I don't want to hear this drum. You just hate everything. No, I, I love everything. <laughs> but like, no, I just mean like, it's just like every, every all music kind of sucks to video at this point. Like, Ted's like, why Why is this part just not have me narrating over it? <laughs> why aren't I speaking in a terrible British accent over this? Like, <laughs> why can't I hear Where my Where the fuck voice? is Mike Ridgeback from Mike Impact Ridgeback Talent? Yeah. Oh, we need to get, we need to do an app. We need to have... Mike on as a guest. I want a mic. I'll, I'll I talk want a to mic video people. so bad. <laughs> I, would, I would like to say one thing about Mason Silva if, before we move on, and that's. I was gonna. A, I didn't even. I didn't. I, I didn't. You voted I didn't, for yourself last year, but you lost. Yeah, you were. You, you, your vote was for yourself. <laughs> no, my vote was for Mason. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Mason's yeah. a fucking champ, dude. He's. Uh, I don't know. He's really solid on a skateboard, and and his edit was also, I think, the most uh, tasteful. Had nice film footage and a pretty decent song. Yeah, it had that yeah. like David Lynch song. It was like doo wop and sort of anachronistic and stylish. I think, I think yeah, that's I know, the thing. I know what that word that's, means. That's the thing. Yeah, about can we get a definition, sir? 
That's the thing about about Mason Silva is that, like, if you look at these dudes' faces, right, like, the one who's an anti-vaxxer looks like an anti-vaxxer. The one one about whom there are rumors looks like the dude about whom there are rumors. But Mason Silva looks like he should be a fucking football player or something. And then he's, like, apparently, like, a really cultured, artistic, and, like, sensitive individual. I saw that video, too, where he was carrying around a camera. Right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. He stands out, and he he's fucking so gnarly. I think he's one of the most. Can I just add? Just, he was fun to watch too. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, so dude. And not everyone fuck. should look like Don Vanderlinden. Goddamn it. Every every time <laughs> someone now quits Element, do they get like a little video where they're like, "I'm finding myself. It's great." Like you know, <laughs> like, just, this guy. I'm taking a step off in the deep unknown. I'm a 22 year old athlete at the height of my skill level, and I'm just kind of ripping on my own and shooting shit and just kind of figuring it out. I can't wait to see what comes up next. And like, we all are supposed to learn something from that. Sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm it's either that or write a novel. And yeah, no, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, novel, novel, yes. Ryan, um, who do you vote for? Mason. Yeah, my vote was for Mason. Oh. Wait, Kristen, for, who's your for vote this for? year or last year? Was he in it last year? No, we're not talking about last year. We're talking about 2019. I backed up Ted's I, vote. I lost okay. last year. Yeah, we got we got right, double Deshaun. the Sean happening here. Right. Yeah, he wins. I hope he wins. Um, God but you, do you know what the worst part was to watch? Uh, the ads before it. <laughs> the bandaid ads were pretty cool. It reminded me that I need to restock my first aid kit. Um, <laughs> but uh, the meet the judges. Did anyone else um, torture no, themselves I, by watching no, that? I could, oh no, I didn't. I, it's Mesa, though, it. right? It's Mesa and Muska. You're the person who does the recommended reading in class. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was honestly watching the videos and I was like, it was like a screen grab of Chris Cole with like a really corny background. And I was like, oh, yep, here we go. Uh, I, <laughs> I go straight for the fucking juicy shit, you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really funny. I think a quote that I wrote down of Chris Cole, he said he's looking for difficult maneuvers, people that are saying I'm all in and going to go for it. Um, and then it was like all the rest of the skaters reading cue cards about the judges. It was so Fucking funny. Whoa. Anyways, highly Chris recommend. Cole, I love his announcing work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like two-time best skater of the year, like whatever awards he's nice. won. <laughs> so funny. Two, two-time mayor of Gnarly Town. Yeah. <laughs> Two-term. Two-term. <laughs> Incumbent mayor. God damn it, I blew that. <laughs> Thanks for picking that one up for me, Ted. <laughs> Clean that one in post-production. Dude, it was just like, I don't know. Just, you know how... I don't know. Have you ever watched like professional sports? Sometimes I hang out with my dad and he's like, has the game on, whatever. And then there's always like the sideline like interviews with the athletes and they're like, yeah, man, yeah. you know, just went out there. And it was like that. But they're like talking about Chris Cole. It's just like and Chad Muska. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it's amazing that the, the producers are like, all right, what if we brought the sidelines of the NFL to skateboarding <laughs> <laughs> in this concrete, boring ass room with these corny plan B boards in the background and like a VX on like a fucking like, <laughs> shelf. Nobody knows how to turn it on. There's not even a battery for it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's. Oh, man. Filmed on a red cam. Who knows? Anyways, next segment. I'm done talking about this. Bullshit ass. <laughs> yeah, so you wait. <laughs> Go ahead, Ted. No, no, no. We're going to talk about the video, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about the share video. So Kristen sent us a really fucking amazing video called A Day in the Life of Share by a 
filmmaker named Magdalena Wozninska. Hopefully I didn't mess that up. Uh, and it's about Cher Strawberry. So Kristen, you want to tell us a, a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I believe it came out today, same day as Real Street. Um, a lot more interesting and a lot more tear real street and actually. Yeah, it was way more real. <laughs> <laughs> True, um, and it's just it's a like a day in the life basically of you know the first professional trans woman skateboarder um, named Cher, and she's awesome. I've gotten to skate with her and hung out with her a few times down in the bay, and then she came up to Wheels of Fortune last year, and um, yeah. She's got a pro board and it's pretty awesome. And yeah, I just definitely thought it, I thought the two kind of standout parts that I saw um, kind of come through was sort of like her origins in skating and then also how she kind of came back to skating. So I don't know if you guys know um, the band No Bunny and Pookie and the Poodles, um, but they're pretty, yeah, we know pretty no big um, indie bands, kind of punk rock stuff. Yeah, and so Cher's played played music in those bands for a big stint of her life, and then, you know, got back into skating after um, her dear friend passed away, and that friend had been like, "You should get back into skating. You should get back into skating forever." And, you know, she kind of brushed it off and just focused on music for a long time, and then kind of after she passed away, it seemed like a way for Cher to, you know, find some therapy, find some solace, find um, some way to get moving. Um, I lost one of my closest friends um, almost two years ago now, um, Sage, and skating was definitely my therapy getting through that. So I could definitely relate to that. And then the other thing that I thought was really incredible was just shares overall positivity and love for all people. Um, one thing that she called out was that a lot of people in like her community of like queer and trans folks, they'll have a lot of um, hate or anger towards certain identities, mostly like cis men and I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool that you know it, and it seems super genuine in the way that she, you know hopefully it wasn't in a, in a way that she felt pressured to say that or anything but it's it seemed no, it real seemed that incredi- it seemed incredibly sincere yeah totally yeah. and just the whole idea that she just she knows a lot of people that are really good people and that she doesn't just like judge people based off of that which I know could be really hard some days for me I'm just like I can't even talk to men like I just like oh, I can't even there's no space for me because of some way some guy treated me prior right and so it's I know. It, from my experience, it can be hard to have space for certain identities of people when they just take up so much space all the time um, and they're just not aware. But the way that she was so positive was, um, I thought, really inspiring and, and just really uplifting. Um, I think it's easy for a documentary to be like a total downer um, and just the way that it navigated death and um, transitioning and having a lack of connection with your family. But overall, the feeling of the piece was just really positive and uplifting, which I thought was really well done from the filmmaker perspective. Yeah, the aesthetics of it were like incredible. And it it would like pack like a whole feature film into, I don't know, what was like 15 minutes or something. Yeah, I really um, I was really moved by how much it foregrounded um, the idea of getting ready, like the way that she spoke of like her kind of like one of it sounded like one of her gateways into understanding her gender identity better was um, when she did identify as male, uh, always thinking like, oh, wow, like, isn't that isn't that cool how the girls all get together and like prepare to leave? They put on makeup and like get ready. Um, and I really like that a lot, particularly in the way that it's like, you know, this there is this sort of mystery, right? Like part of the male experience is this sort of 
bafflement at the reality of like, well, what possibly could be taking so long, right? Like the, the cartoon version is like, oh my God, like you're just always getting ready. And I think the way that she spoke of that as um, so incredibly central to um, herself, her sense of self, uh, it was, I think it, I think it's valuable for everyone to understand um, that sort of reality, that the preparation of self and the preparation of externality as being central to like, this is it, this is how I will present myself to the world and it's fucking important. But also how that um, is something that not to such an extreme extent as share, you know, and it being this gender thing, but it's something that we all do. And it's something that we all kind of learned. I know I personally, like I to this day have a hard time taking off my skate shoes, take like changing out of the clothes that I skate in and then going into the clothes that someone (laughs) like that would be my age that does the other stuff that I do uh, would wear. And like, I do kind of remember like when I was like nine or 10, when I first started skating before most of you were born, like, uh, getting like fine, looking like a skater, dressing like a skate, trying to act like a skater and talk like a skater. And this is again, kind of pre pre sexual, you know, like it's pre pubescent, like identity, like, and I'm not saying like, and I was doing something as radical as Cher by no means. But what I am saying is that, um, that description of what what she was experiencing and her enthusiasm being stoked on it like that is a part we all move through various identities and kind of our our sort of like notion of ourselves is always fluid and changing in this way um yeah. it's never fixed in it, it like we wear, wear many hats throughout the day i think and I, I found that part too actually one of the things i related to most about her uh story that she told of herself I mean, I, I'll just, you know, back up what everybody said. I, I thought it was gorgeous. I I felt incredibly sad for, for most of the piece. Just, I mean, just because so much of it, a, a lot of her story has been struggle. Um, and, and that her journey back to skating was through the death of somebody who had been encouraging for it was, I don't know, um, really, really hit me kind of hard. But um, to both the share and and her journey's credit and the filmmaker's credit that the the part where she where you really see her story as, as something of of kind of opening up um where where she falls in love uh with another woman who um who you know she just basically was like oh i didn't think that you know she would go for me at all and and whatever and and, and to find that sort of it just said like in the last two years you know she's gotten queer friends for the first time in her life um and and to find love after that um i i thought you know i was i was just so so thankful um that that she's able to find not only connection but happiness and and love um coming out of that uh coming out of the experience that brought her back to skating um i just thought it was fucking cool i loved hearing her speak of having a crush it was so beautiful it was (laughs) like that's it like that's exactly the energy that's it it there's no way this person but what if yeah yeah i also appreciated too that she was like i'm not an expert and i don't know what i'm doing and i'm learning and all that i just like really relate to that level of humility and then i also think whenever anybody represents like a marginalized identity right if you're like a person of color you're indigenous or you're trans or whatever like I think a lot of people will call on you like to be this expert and to speak to your like speak for your community and I thought it was really brilliant 
that she included that and that the filmmaker didn't ed- that edit that out because I think that's a huge reminder to folks that represent more dominant identities to not just always make those folks be the voice and just let them speak to their own personal experience and let that be part of the knowledge that we gather like you know and not make not tokenize them and make them be speaking for all people yeah, she said, you know, it, when someone asks me about being trans, I'm like, get back to me in a year. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty heavy. Totally. Um, one last thing, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but just the the way that Cher was alienated from her family, I thought was really, really sad. God and something it, that like I can't personally relate to in that same level. Um, but I think it's just something that's important to remember that um, if anybody like, you know, if you want to try to be a better ally and like understand the importance of being a good ally, just kind of know that, you know, that's probably not an experience that only happens to share. Um, You know, I'm sure that that happens to a lot of people for a variety of reasons, but definitely probably more commonly for folks that are trans and transitioning and things like that. And just to um, operate from like a place of you know, big ass love, like for those folks in particular and making sure that they feel self safe and yeah, welcome like, because and, and that's what a, a huge issue. Skate- and what a refuge skateboarding is, is like a community that, yeah. you know. Yeah. The unity scene seems fucking awesome for, yeah. for, for, um, goddamn just for, for skating in the Bay. It's so cool. Um, that, that I don't know. Oh, I, I don't know if, if she's been able to connect with, with the queer skating scene in, uh, in the Bay through unity. But I, but I know that unity is kind of a part of that scene. And I just think it's, you know, like, like she said, she didn't have a lot of queer friends in, in her town and that, you know, now there's like a, a skate scene with, um, uh, for her and, and her friends. I fucking, it's fucking awesome. Um, super encouraging for, for what, uh, unity does. Yeah. Yeah. Another another thing I was thinking about, which doesn't really relate to the film, but the first time that I heard about Cher was when uh, Joel from Metro had posted her on the Instagram, yeah. and I remember Ted, uh, we were texting about it, and there's just you know just a ridiculous amount of vitriol. Skateism actually like published an interview with Cher where they just put DMs and comments that were just. Yeah, really yeah. disgusting like paired with amazing photos that sam mcguire shot yeah but um sam's doing awesome work. yeah really awesome but yeah i i just wanted to say like it's really rad that joel kind of used his platform with metro he has a really big audience you know love or hate metro you know a lot of people yeah. don't don't really care for the aesthetics of it but he's like really always been super supportive of the trans and queer community yeah yeah, one thing... Um, and we'll go to bat for them in the comments section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's fucking awesome. For sure. There is a... Yeah, you mentioned that um, article, but also uh, in um, piece about Cher, but um, Cher and May also put out like a, um, a zine kind of about their experience getting bullied on the internet. Um, it was It's just called IG Bully, and it got put out through um, Unity Press. Um, so that's just a resource for people to look into as far as trying to like understand their experience and how to be be better human beings and and hold our friends accountable to that as well um because it's one thing to have like a cool safe community that's like the unity skate community in the bay area but it's like fuck that like the whole community should be that yeah um and so mm-hmm. yeah well i think also just this kind of touches on what you were talking about before chris and where and my friend Corey, who's a 
female skater in Austin, she was just saying like, you know, I like all, all skating, but I get way more stoked when I see someone looking like who looks like me fucking working for it. And imagine just how marginalized if you're trans, you might feel and how like alienating it would be trying to find someone that looks like you skating. Like that's, I love that part where the share was talking about it, about just being like, I wish I, there were someone else I could reach out to and ask, how do you do this? But I, <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one right now, or, you know, or like I, you know, I'm figuring this out on my own. I'll try to be that person. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so much of skateboard, like I, so much of skateboarding is like learning a code of behavior, even as an adult, um, and trying to adhere to that and finding archetypes of people that like you look like and think like, and, and sound like, um, it can also open up and diversify your worlds, but it's just like, again, that, that courage and that humility that she described with which she described her experience was really, was really, uh, poignant. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put the link to the video in the show notes and, uh, promote it on Instagram. Um, and then, yeah, moving on. I mean, we, okay. So Kyle did a interview. Kyle did an interview with Bing and you want to give us some intro to that, Kyle? Yeah, I will. Um, Bing Liu is a Chicago based director and cinematographer, uh, who, last year put out a movie called Minding the Gap, um, which is about a town called Rockford, Illinois. It's about 90 miles west of Chicago. Um, And like a lot of Rust Belt cities, it has suffered um, a certain kind of decline in the last, oh, you know, 30 years. Um, But it's accelerated a lot in the 90s and the early 21st century. In any case, um, Bing uh, grew up a skateboarder and uh, set out to make a movie about skateboarding and didn't really know what it was going to be um, until he came upon these two guys named Kier and Zach in Rockford. Um, And in discovering them, he sort of found the thread for what would become his film, Minding the Gap, uh, which after coming out last year uh, on Hulu, um, exclusively on Hulu, ended up getting nominated for an Oscar, winning a Peabody Award, getting a special jury award for breakthrough filmmaking at Sundance. Uh, it just did very, very, very well. So he's somebody that I was very excited to sit down and talk to about his film and about skateboarding, uh, and largely about masculinity, um, and what he learned in making this film. And it was, it was great. It was a really great conversation. Okay, so we're, we're, I'm in my living room in Chicago, Illinois, uh, and I am very, very fortunate to have with me here Bing Liu, um, who everyone alive has now heard of, um, but is also someone who I was fortunate enough to know before um, strangers came to know who he is. Uh, Bing, thank you very much for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. Um, this, is, this is an honor, um, and it's also kind of funny because the last time you were here might've been the last time um, you and I actually talked aggressively about skateboarding, um, which is we sat right here and you were interviewing me. What do you, what do you remember from that? I remember I reached out to you because I'd read your piece in Jankum. Um, I think I read the piece you wrote about the St. Losers premiere first. And then I read the Andrew Reynolds one and I was just so taken aback. I'd never seen writing about skateboarding done in that way before 
Um, and at the time, I was sort of in my first year of doing what would become Minding the Gap. And I think I even sent you like a short like snippet of it. Or yeah, you, know, you did. It was, you did. I mean, it was an ensemble piece. It was sort of like, you know, a poetic take on skateboarders' lives, their inner lives, and what they felt about inner life and growing up. And, you know. Um, yeah, that, that, and that was called Ennui and, and Amour, right? Ennui and Amour was the working title at the yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you were basically like, uh, so, you know, what is your relationship like with your father? And I was like, oh, it's great. I love my dad. My dad's the best. And at that point, I feel like, I I walked right outside of what you were sort of discovering at the time was like the story you were actually trying to tell, which wasn't just about skateboarding, right? Like how much did you know at that point what Minding the Gap was going to be? Um, well, I knew I was looking for people talking about issues with growing up and family. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't hard to find. Um, it wasn't that I was looking for that. It was more that I was looking for people who could speak in a very... Um, you know, unique, fascinating way, people that were articulate and people that, you know, like would be a good interview for right. uh, less or more. And, but most of the people that had those qualities happened to have, you know, right. like some sort of issue right. with their family that right. they hadn't voiced before. Um, I think like you and Andrew Cannon were the two that I remember <laughs> like not having issues. <laughs> uh, figures. Um but it was, you know, it's like you had interesting things to say about um, skateboarding. So, I and, mem- yeah. And you had just, so at that time, what, I'm trying to figure out here a timeline of how long you worked on this movie, right? Because um, as I think of it, you're someone who's like tireless work on Minding the Gap is the sort of thing that I turn to when it feels to me like my work is taking too long. I think, well, wait a minute. Bing worked on this movie and brought it through all of these totally different iterations um, that were, were anyone who saw those early drafts to have ever predicted that what would come out of that was, would be a film like Minding the Gap, they would have been crazy, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about the distance that you traveled in terms of final product and early drafts? Um, because to me, it's just totally stunning. Um, as someone who was lucky enough to see kind of early um, attempts at getting it right, um, what do you, what do you think when you look at the final project and think about where you started? I mean, I think it was uh, it is weird. It just it is like the classic um, skate video making <laughs> in a way. Like, even though I was, I didn't set out to make a skate video per se. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's in the heart of in the spirit of what I did as a teenager, you know, as a skate videographer, uh, you are like, you do it all. And you, you know, like you, you try to like gather skateboarders who are like not good at waking up early or like meeting up or, you know, like being punctual. And you try to get skateboarders to do tricks at spots when there's like rocks and, you know, like that you have to sweep away or cracks you have to, bondo and bring signs to and so you become like the skate dad and you like spend years making an independent skate video that you're gonna premiere at like your local shop or rent out a theater to premiere you're gonna make your own dvds and design the dvds you're gonna like maybe make a big cartel and sell them online you do it all for the love you know and it doesn't feel like i mean it feels like work but it doesn't feel like you know i'm i feel this pressure to have this um be I guess validated beyond like what I 
think is cool and right. <laughs> you know awesome right. right and so i think most of the initial propulsion um was from that and then you know so that so that it was like 2011 2012 when i really yeah like 2011 i made this thing this thing quote unquote called look at me yeah which is something where it was like half skate video half interviews with skate videographers and photographers because i was just really fascinated with the fact that i felt like i was going to spots and sometimes there were more lenses than skateboards <laughs> you know and i was like what is going on here mm -hmm. um but while interviewing all those skateboard videographers and photographers, I felt like, you know, there a lot of people had really interesting things to say about, you know, family identity growing yeah. up. Um, and so I was like, well, what if I do that as my next project? So that's how it started out. And then it was just like, you know, the model ship in your garage that you go yeah. and tinker with when you have free time. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's like it felt really cool. Sometimes it felt like, what am I doing? Like, is this... I'll just walk, I'll just like step away from this and make another skate edit. You right, know? right. And then, um, you and know, you did, right? I mean, you were also making skate edits along the way. Yeah. I mean, I filmed a, a shop video for, yeah, board shop, right. rest in peace. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I put, I kept putting out edits. What those edits kind of did was also help mine in the gap because I was starting to play around with, uh, something called a glide cam. Right. And I was starting to like run around on foot right. <laughs> with this like rig. Um, and I got good at it through making these edits, like while I was working on what would become My Name and Gap. Um, for people who haven't seen your actual technique of filming skateboarding, can you describe it? And is it dangerous? And does it totally wear you out or make you like super weirdly healthy? Like how do how does it work? I I, I kind of like found out about it in two ways. I mean, for a long time, I've worked in the film and television industry in the camera department. Um, as a camera assistant. And so I've worked with Steadicam operators. And the Steadicam is something that was invented in the 70s that basically just uses a weight and a, and a gimbal um, in order to produce very steady shots. Okay. Um, and you, so, you know, fast forward to today when I was, or to, you know, modern times when I was working at these Steadicam operators, I saw them just running around in all different types of ways, spinning in circles, running around backwards, running up and down stairs, following actors who never really hit their marks the same way every take. And it was just something that uh, couldn't be replicated by gimbals or like new, these new fancy toys that were coming out. Right. Um, it was, you know, like skateboarding, very improvisational, right? Hmm. And I was like, okay, like that'd be cool to bring to skateboarding. But, you know, like I, I saw a few clips of it and like pretty sweet or whatever. Right. But then I like met this guy named matt ballard who was this filmer skateboard dude from cincinnati area and uh he like used the glide cam for like roll-up shots a lot and so i saw him do it in person and i was like oh, okay that's interesting and so i got it and learned how to balance it um started getting okay with it but to answer your question visually it just looks like i'm like running around on foot like you know either chasing a skater or parallel to a skater or sometimes in front of a skater running backwards. But it doesn't look like that if you don't know that you're running, right? Like, I mean, the first thing you notice, it seems to me, is that the angle is wrong. Like, you're too high. The camera is too high. So the first thing you notice is that it's high. And then I think the next thing you think is like, well, how the fuck, like, how is this happening? But I don't know that 
I had any idea that you were running until I saw a shot for the first time of like, you, you know, a second angle that actually showed you scurrying along to follow these people. Cause it's a weird image. Like it's a strange thing. It's, 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 it throws off your normal expectation of what a skate video looks like. And I think a lot of people like that. Did you encounter people who don't like it? Like have people reached out to you and been like, yo, I hate the way this looks. No, I mean, <laughs> when the yeah video came out and when I was making those edits, those first edits with the look and it was, um, yeah, there were, there were people who were like, this gives me motion sickness or mm. this is weird. <laughs> um, but for the most part, people were like, oh, this is really interesting how it's filmed. Um, but I'd say more people who don't skate comment on it than people who skate. Huh. I, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Uh, as somebody who studies narrative and teaches narrative and thinks about narrative all the time, um, I'm super fascinated by the way that Minding the Gap stands out against um, some of the other films that came out last year that portrayed skateboarding in a fundamentally narrative way, right? Both Mid-90s and Skate Kitchen um, have their strengths and do do what they're up to, which is something very different than your movie is up to. And, and a lot of it seems to do with seems to have to do with not only different eras and not only different crews of people, um, but also the fact that they are deeply rooted in this idea of um, a, a, a protagonist, a main character going through some sort of change and the way that skateboarding facilitates that change, right? Um, in mid nineties, it's, you know, an outcast kid who doesn't have anyone else to connect to. And so skateboarding provides him the sort of avenue for finding himself and taking risks he wouldn't otherwise take. Um, in Skate Kitchen, uh, you know, her character is kind of marooned out there in the middle of, is it Long Island? She's out there, right? And so her, her access to the city is her access to this kind of crew of skaters, right? So it's, it's not just about skateboarding, it's about opening up the world in some key ways. Whereas with Mining the Gap, um, narrative isn't necessarily central to what's going on, right? There is a story there. Um, but it seems to me that it's much more rooted in questions and it's questions about who these characters are, what skateboarding means to them. Um, but beyond that, what binds these characters together, right? What do, what do these different people who happen to have this thing, this passion for skateboarding in common, what else do they have in common? Um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship to storytelling um, am I right in thinking that this is more interested in questions than it is in telling a story or am I kind of running on my own hobby horse here about your film? It's hard to say it's not narrative because of just, you know, all the different versions of cards we laid out of the right. film that have been, I mean, it's just, you know, like character, desire, obstacle, right. you know, three acts, um, inciting incident. Right. <laughs> this is where the third act starts. Uh, so many versions of that, even on paper. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right in the sense of like how the film was made, like the heart of like what the film, uh, how how like the footage was captured and what was happening during the production of it, which is just like me out there, essentially trying to get at um, just the emotional bottom of these people that are portrayed in the film. I also knew I wanted to tell a story, but I also knew from. Uh, the way that I came to understand documentary um, that that just sort of happens in the edit. You mm -hmm. know, you try to give yourself as much as you can to work with, but right. then ultimately you just, the, the story writing comes later, which is interesting. <laughs> it is. That's, that's straight. I mean, that, 
that to me sounds totally backwards. Um, it's well, it's backwards from like now. I'm you know I have the opportunity to develop fiction projects, right. and that process of discovery and writing happens way earlier. It's more front loaded, but with the process and documentary, like the day that you finish writing your stories, the day you picture lock your film, right? Um, you know, I mean, and so much of that discovery just happens all along the way. That's what's really exciting about it. And it took some adjustment for me to switch gears and think about, you know, like writing a script and like, you know, overseeing a writer and and, and adapting a book into a script. It's like, okay. Um, by the time you by the time you get it working, it's like, you know, the, the a lot of the magic has seemed is seemingly disappeared. And yeah. it's a little disappointing when you've worked in documentaries and it's like, oh my God, it's like so exciting. Even like even to the last week before you picture lock, you discover some new thing. And right. it's like, okay. I want to get I want to get into that and I want to talk a little bit about writing and what it is for you to write fictional stories now and what what that's like coming at the story it sounds like from basically 180 degrees the opposite direction. Uh but I do wonder as it relates to mining the gap um how did you know when it was done? And wh- what 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 was it like taking on partnerships and getting the film into other hands and how did that relate to what you thought the film was about and how it kind of turned into what it is now? Um, I mean, one answer to when I knew it was done is that we got the call, we got into Sundance. Okay, now we have to picture lock right, and get right. the film out into the world. Um, another answer is that, you know, like, Kier moved to Denver uh, January or February of 2016. Mm-hmm. We premiered in twenty January 2018. I went out several times to Denver to like continue following his life. Um, but then once we wrote the story in the edit, um, you know, like all we needed was him moving to Denver. Right. Right. right so right. Uh, I don't know what that extra two years of filming was, um, but I know it was part of the process and I knew that there was something driving me to, you know, want to keep <laughs> going. Um, Do you think you learned things in those two years that helps you understand everything you had filmed before? Uh, yes and no. Uh, probably not as much in just, you know, like the production, like continuing to like film, but definitely I spent that extra two years of editing was, uh, very crucial. Um, the biggest collaboration happened once my finishing editor, my co-editor, Josh Altman came on board in that final year. Uh, this is a guy who's had, you know, three or four films go to Sundance. Right. Um, he has just a really surgical understanding of story in a way that was, you know, so helpful for me. Um, most importantly, he gave me perspective on my own story, mm-hmm. which was something that was a very late decision. Like that interview with my mom happened a year after Kira moved out of Den- out of Rockford. Um, so it was, you know, and like I just didn't, every time I try to cut those scenes with my interviews, where I was like interviewing about myself, uh, it was, it felt a lot more like exposition because right. that's what I thought of putting myself in the story as exposition to give the audience, you know, a sense of the filmmaker's background so that if you're going to judge him for going off and like doing these like really intense things with people in his life that, you know, butt up against privacy right. and exploitation, at least, you know, the context of right. where the film is. You're not, you're not like a shark. You're not, you're not just pouncing on this story. Well, I mean, I am and I'm not, right? right. Like I, I am, but but you should know the context behind it. Right. Like that interview with my mom, it 
you know, the, wh- what I'd cut was like, you know, hey, mom, like, what did you think about me starting skateboarding when I was 13? Like, right. tell me about, the, you know, like, tell me about when you moved to, from China. But that scene that you see in the film, it was like basically Josh's first pass. He saw, you know, a part of that two hour interview I did that I didn't, I either like was too, you know, emotionally like, shielded right. To, right. to see. Or I don't know, maybe I just had some. And his spot. eyes just like lit up. He's like, oh, this, <laughs> yeah. this right here. Well, I don't know. He didn't, he did, he did, he, he just like cut it. He, he didn't like turn to me and go like, oh my God, bang. Yeah. You know? um, but he, when he showed it, I was like, I just, my stomach just twisted in a way that uh, I hadn't anticipated it would. Um, so that brings me kind of to my next point here on my incredibly extensive notes that I have for this conversation, which is you probably you succeeded in a lot of ways in the last year, right? I mean, you, you were, um, robbed of an Oscar by an incredibly impressive, but ultimately stupid movie, um, about rock climbing. Uh, you have just recently been awarded a Peabody, um, which is, uh, nominated, nominated for a Peabody. I was, thank you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but the other thing that you've done that maybe is a little harder to quantify or you won't get a statue for is you probably have single-handedly made more skateboarders cry in the last year <laughs> than in the history of skateboarding. Uh, I, so I watched the movie last night and I cried. So I have a, a pretty peaceful relationship with crying these days, right? I like, I've cried in class when I teach class. I cry in front of my wife all the time. I cry, you know, I look at my old dog lying here and I'm pretty much on the, you know, on the verge of tears already. Um, what, what does that feel like to know that you made a, a, a jerker that can bring tears, that can tear jerk skaters who are not generally <laughs> comfortable, people who are comfortable with crying? It feels good. I mean, it's like, I don't think anybody like has, a lot of people have, you know, like commented or wrote that they, you know, it's the first time they've cried in a long time or usually they don't cry. Um, a lot of older skateboarders surprisingly, you know, say things like, oh, I didn't realize like why I, I didn't realize all these things about my childhood. <laughs> right. until I, you know, like, I'm talking like 40 something year old skaters where they're like, oh my God, my, this is, I'm thinking about all these things that happened with my father or my mother. And right. it's like, that's great. You know, it's it's weird that you can you just assume that you get into adulthood and you like mature naturally, but there's a lot of things that, you know, like without a helping hand or some extra work essentially, you know, you just won't be able to get more clarity on. Um but it feels, you know, I, I think crying feels good. Like for me, it, it's like it's been a struggle to start to like learn how to cry again yeah. after like going through an adolescence where essentially I was taught that, you know, like if you cry, I'm going to hurt you more. Like that's what my stepfather taught me. And so I internalized that. And it's like, you know, I'm just now getting to the point where like, I'm just like crying all the time, (laughs) you know, like at things that I feel like, like any, everyone should cry at it's in in, in a healthy way. Um, And it feels so good every time it feels like this, it feels like akin to a runner's high or something after you do have a good cry. Do you, so, I mean, this is this is veering us kind of into what is sort of the murky heart of this conversation, which is about what skateboarding is, right? I mean, if if there's a reason why I'm involved in this pod, and I think all of us who are, you know, the, the staff of Vent City, the cast of Vent City, like I think a lot of what we're getting at is, or, or why we're interested in doing this is because all of us in some way, and I think a lot of people are, 
are curious curious about what skateboarding is, right? And one of the things that we can we can say by observing skateboarding is it is a place where historically um, some oppressive expectations about masculinity and toughness have been centered, right? Like generally skaters are not people who feel comfortable exhibiting weakness or indulging weakness, right? I mean, a lot of what we do when we, you know, uh, eat shit on a stair set or a lot of what we do when we're getting ourselves kind of mentally ready to throw ourselves onto a rail or down some gap, a lot of what we're doing is trying to ignore the fact that pain is a possibility, right? We don't confront the reality that pain might be there on the other side. And if you do confront the reality that there's pain potentially on the other side of this, then you have to erase any sort of potential for that pain to actually hurt you. Um, and so there's a lot of this, or at least in my experience, right? And this is changing and it seems to have changed rapidly in the last kind of 10 years. A lot of my approach to skating was always about like, first of all, ignore the potential that you could hurt yourself. And second of all, if you do hurt yourself, fucking don't allow it to actually hurt. Like resist the pain that is trying to get into you. Do whatever you can to stop yourself from being vulnerable to this thing. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if given what you experienced with Kier and with Zach, right? I mean, because both of them over the course of this film, find themselves vulnerable, right? Kier seems to be far more um, open to the, the potentials of what emotion can bring into him. Whereas Zach, it seems like, you know, he's he spent a lot of time kind of numbing himself or we see him spend some time numbing himself or at least trying to remove himself from the pain. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what you did or didn't learn about the relationship between skateboarding and that sort of vulnerability? Like, is, is there something you discovered about pain? Is it actually more central to what we're doing? Um, would we all be better skaters if we were comfortable crying? <laughs> uh, I think you, you're, you know, you generally, if you're, you know, are able to cry, if you don't have an issue with crying, I guess is a better way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> I think you live a more wholesome, holistic life as a human. Right. Um, but with skating, I, I sort of, it, for me, it's about control, um, and vulnerability, like sort of being a part of that, yeah. you know, like what, how much you control or don't control vulnerability. And I think that's what vulnerability sort of is. It's right. the lack of control. Um, it, it, you know, I, I think if you're a young person who might not feel a lot of control or volition or free will in your life, um, whether that's true or not, um, you're going to look for it in other places. Um, so they talk about this with people who cut themselves or people who struggle with anorexia or bulimia. Um, you know, it's it's they talk about it in this in this rubric of in this framework of control, yeah. right? It's like oh, I, I feel like I can't control all these other things, like perhaps my body image or something, and so I'm gonna control it in a different way by like not eating or right. by you know throwing up after I eat or by cutting myself and feeling this pain. Um, you know, I think skateboarding in a way adds a sense of causality you know like for me i felt like when i was at home i felt like i was walking on eggshells all the time because i didn't know when something bad would happen to me right because you know like i i, I lived with an unstable abusive man and there was very little control in that and there was very little control of the pain that i felt you know whether it was like 
emotional, psychological, or physical. But when I was out skating, you know, like if I fell and got hurt, it made sense. You know, like either I wasn't focusing enough or like, you know, like I didn't do the trick right or, you know, I don't, for some reason I threw myself off a 10 stair, you know, I was like trying a 10 stair. Um, At least it, you know, like adhered to the laws of physics and, you know, eventually I learned the laws of just like how present I was being as while I was skateboarding. Um, I think that's what Zach, Kier and I all sort of knew deep down in our bones, um, even if we didn't weren't able to articulate it in that way. But given that's super interesting, but given the fact that emotions are fundamentally unpredictable, right? I mean, to be a human is to engage in this sort of cast of the dice at any moment, you know, anything could happen that could bring you great sorrow or great joy. So to move through the world as a human being is to be vulnerable. Um, It would seem to follow then to have this part of your life that sort of, on one hand, like dives headfirst in that vulnerability, right? I'm going to do a thing that could cause me great pain um, or could cause me totally small, stupid pain, like a terrible shinner or a rolled ankle on a frontside tail slide or whatever it may be. Is there a way then that we could say that skateboarding sort of um, retards our kind of normal human path into what life is? Like, is there a way that we're actually doing ourselves damage by coming up with this sort of faux relationship with control that isn't about the real world, right? That we're like creating this sort of um, vacuum that we go into and it's like, well, here I can do this, here I can control this, and here's what physics, here's how physics works, and if I get this just right, my board will flip and I'll land right on it and I'll slide for this long, etc. Like, is there a way that that is sort of distracting us from what what we should be doing, which is experiencing pain and experiencing sorrow and experiencing these sort of things? Or do you see it still after making this film as a good thing? Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Emotions are just a part of life. The experience of life is a part of, you know, who we are. Um, I I feel like the healthy way of doing it is just, you know, like uh, for me, like the, the, Buddhistic way of doing it is just you know like letting emotions happen you know recognizing them you know like sort of embracing them if you want but just letting it happen just be um and and not repressing them and not you know resisting them um but also not you know like (laughs) holding on to them like some sort of golem character holding on to the ring um but to answer your question i think skateboarding is isn't doesn't happen in a vacuum it doesn't happen in isolation it's a reflection of you know the culture or whatever sort of norms that you subscribe to within that your your understanding of skateboarding so i think you know it's for me like my understanding of skateboarding changed and how my relationship with skateboarding changed um and my relationship with pain and causality in skateboarding changed as i grew older because i found more and more different ways of viewing skateboarding right you know like when i was first starting it was just you know the zero videos or the flip videos where it's just like these are the rules of skateboarding it's like what you talked about um where you just you know ignore pain and if you feel pain you just try to suppress it and that's what skateboarding is 
but then you know like i started meeting skateboarders who were <laughs> like in a way like rebelling against that <laughs> and um you know like talking about emotions and talking about how scared they were of things right. and joking about it in like you know shriekishly immature voices and right. freaking you know right, like right, 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 it's right, just right. and so that was like a phase and it's like okay cool like um i can embrace that and then I got older yet and I moved to Chicago and, you know, it felt like I had like sort of regressed back into this culture of a more, you know, toxic masculine mm -hmm. <laughs> version of skateboarding. Um, Did you live in a skate house? Did you guys have like a, a full, a full skate house? Apartment? We lived in a skate house. Yeah. And that, I guess that wasn't what I was talking about. Like, I guess, uh, like within my skate house, I loved <laughs> right. that culture. Like I lived with Tim Johnson and Ben Likeness and uh, they were all just totally, you know, like down to deconstruct everything right. in skateboarding. Right. But um, I think in the larger Chicago land landscape, um, it was, yeah, I just felt like a more like uh, repressed emotional version <laughs> of skateboarding. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, so that's good. That gets us to a place, uh, two places that I, I want to get into. And one is your relationship to Chicago. And the other one is a kind of check-in on what your relationship to skateboarding is now, right? You have a rolled ankle. Um, I know that because you, you very graciously took your shoes off as soon as you walked in the house and I saw that you were wearing a brace. Um, what is skateboarding to you these days? Like you're traveling around a lot. I'm sure people want you to show up and skate. Do, does it feel good like are you enjoying skating right now are you are you stoked on it yeah i am when it's when it's when i'm like with with people that I like skateboarding with or when i'm like by myself having a good session i don't know other times it does feel like okay this news camera wants me to right do you know create b-roll for them <laughs> it's weird that sounds like so <laughs> miserable i know those can those, you jump these stairs yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah i'll try yeah the, the rolled ankle thing I was thinking about today, I was like, oh, it's so much, or in a way it's like easier to get by, get through that phase of like injury, like a, you know, like a minor injury, like a rolled ankle, um, because I'm just so busy. I'm like, right. it just, oh, I can just like work. <laughs> I think when I was younger and I was like, all I want to do is skate, you know, it was like so hard. It was like crushing. Uh, how old are you being? I'm 30. You're 30. Okay. Uh, do you feel that 30 is going to be good for your skating? Or are you going to like age gracefully into a 30 year old slappy guy, no comply guy, or do you feel yourself longing for the, the more youthful expressions of skateboarding? So I never, I broke my arm when I was 14 on a 10 stair in Rockford. And ever since then, I like <laughs> felt like, so like, I, I felt like just like, okay, I'm going to be the filmer kind of, and I'll try to skate a little bit. And for a while, like in my teens, I was, you know, trying to like skate rails and stuff. But I, you know, and then I got busy with like work, trying to make a career in the film industry. And then, um, you know, I just sort of like became a slappy, no comply person uh, throughout my 20s. So you're, you already have a head start. I've, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love skating mini ramps and, sla yeah. and doing slappies and doing no complies. <laughs> so let me, let me ask this. It, is there, and this question actually comes from a viewer, a listener. Uh, Do you have, how does that work? Do you guys like have like a comment section? We don't have a comment section yet. People we, just email you? People I know, I say, hey, I'm interviewing Bing tomorrow. 
what should I oh, ask okay. him? Okay, this is more specific. Okay. And David Uthis, filmmaker, um, artist, uh, great skateboarder, dear great friend, great Instagram poster, great Instagram poster, um, euthanasia uh, with a U. He wanted me to ask you: Is there is there a skate project that would make you drop what you're doing right now? Is there? Can you envision a utopic skate project that would make you drop what you're doing and pursue it? Does that exist? Yeah, I think so. There's so much in skateboarding that's just unexplored. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. I feel like it, the the utopic one would be like someone giving me a million dollar, a million dollars in like two years to just like go make something. Like yeah. that would be it. <laughs> what would you do? I mean, who would you would who would you want to focus on, or what sort of skaters? Uh, probably like. I feel like it would either be like a deconstruction of a famous skateboarder. Yeah. Like a famous skateboarder who like stands for something like Brian Anderson or something. Um, or like, a, I don't know. I mean, or like something in China, maybe huh. like maybe getting at like the weird things going on in China with like the Olympic training. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That'd be interesting. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really, I feel like I'd have to give it some thought. Well, it's, I mean, it doesn't take, it wouldn't be a terrible stretch to say that like, I mean, the thing about watching Minding the Gap, especially when you watch it a second time or a third or fourth, um, you start to notice the way, like the role that skateboarding actually plays in there, right? And and if we are to say, okay, what is a modern skate video? Like what is a skate video in the era of the internet? Um, and, you know, we've, certain people have declared the skate video dead years ago, right? Um, but the fact is, is that there's an incredibly vibrant local scene and people are still interested in seeing um, full length, 30 minute skate videos from, you know, Virginia or from St. Louis, Missouri, or like a Cincinnati video, like the scene video is going strong. And what we've seen recently is that some big companies are doing some really interesting things with like the 12 to 15 minute video, right? Like where it doesn't have all the sort of expectation of a full length video, but you're still getting substantial time. I'm thinking about like girl put out a video uh, with Kodak when they went to London. Um, so it was essentially a glorified tour video, but it had this sort of cohesion and cohesiveness that it felt like a singular object. Um, where does the skate video go? Like you, you obviously don't have the burden of answering this question, but you in making a movie that incorporates skateboarding into it and, and, you know, started as an exploration of skateboarding and then turned into this kind of character study. Um, it seems like you would be a good person to maybe tell the rest of the industry, like, Hey, you know, what we could do more of with skate videos is X, Y, or Z. Are there things you wish that the skate industry was doing more of with, the medium of film no i mean that's the, that's the catch-22 of skate media um you know like it's it's thrives in on innovation and you know like i think authenticity and like newness and creativity is so honored yeah. um in the community but at the same time the only thing that matters is just like capturing skateboarding on film <laughs> like, that's <laughs> all that matters and like you know like in the the relationship between skateboarding and like the capturing of it in video or photography is just it's never that's never going to change right um i think everything else is just a reflection of like the fracturization of our society yeah. <laughs> like yeah yeah you know like where's the water cooler now 
I don't know. Um, my bigger question, and this is like beyond skateboarding, like, is there going to be another water cooler moment? Right. Is it coming back? Are we getting, are we getting, I mean, I feel like people are like getting burnt out. There's like, like the Washington Post just like, you know, like released an article about uh, like burnout, like how people, like everyone's just like burned out. And like one of the tips they had was just like limit your social media to 10 minutes a day. You know? Right. Which and, is totally unrealistic. <laughs> I mean, that, that, there's no way. 10, 10 minutes a day is. Depends on what kind of job you have. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that sounds ideal. Uh, there's this woman named Jenny O'Dell just put out a book about that, right? Like there seems to be a sort of, um, at least an avenue for people talking about, hey, how are we going to be healthier with this stuff? Um, you know, even, even, uh, Mark Johnson, right. You know, our, our famous like skateboard, uh, what's he up to now? Oh, I don't know, man. Maybe, uh, they, he like he's he's was... got a company. I heard a rumor. He left the company. I, uh, nobody knows with Mark. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's vocal about that. Like anyone who is anyone who existed or lived and remembers being alive before social media came around. I think probably has a sense that this sort of thing isn't ideal, right? Like if you can remember a life before you pulled out your phone at a urinal, you probably can, you probably can say like, oh gosh, I don't know that I need to be looking at this all the time. Um, so there is, there is that sort of movement toward that. At the same time, like the things that are on our phone are just getting cooler and cooler to look at. Like, I mean, skateboarding on Instagram is bonkers. It's totally insane. <laughs> That's true. Cause I was just about to say like, okay, like we, you know, like when TV rolled around, you mm -hmm. know, the golden era, um, people like maybe some people got addicted to it and like, yeah. maybe, you know, it's just like this weaning process of, you know, learning how to control this new, very addictive thing, um, that could take over our lives. Um, and I feel like, you know, my generation at least is having to deal with that. And I think the generation, the newer generation beyond millennials is definitely going to have to deal with that. Maybe they'll but I feel do, like they're do a better, better job. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's get off the internet. Let's stop talking about the internet. Cause I do want to know a little bit about your relationship to Chicago. Um, because you've decided to stay here. Uh, I, I know there was one interview that was, I think I saw the headline and this made me laugh so hard, which was like, meet the Oscar nominee who won't give up his $500 apartment or something like that. Do you, do you remember? It was, I remember that. I remember being, it was like, so I was like scoffed at it. It was like so ridiculous. I mean, it says a lot about just like how little substance there is to report in the industry sometimes in the Hollywood industry, right? sure. which is another reason that I don't want to move to LA. Right. Yeah. So you don't want to move to LA. You don't, I mean, no, never, yeah, no. by all accounts you should, right? Like, that you I would, I would, it would be it would be way better for my career if right. I moved to LA. Yeah. Right, but you won't. I, I no, I I don't think I. Want is that to. because you love Chicago so much, or is it because there are there's a way that? Well, why do you like Chicago? Like, what is it about Chicago? Because if you if any listeners know any Chicagoans, you know that we're incredibly good at talking shit about it, right? <laughs> but rarely do we talk about the parts about this this very difficult city um, that actually make a, those of us who stay here stay here or like what is it for you what, what what is it about this place that keeps you here well it, it is very cheap yeah. it's like incredible it's like i mean i i do i pay 600 dollars a month right now <laughs> um but i have but i have three roommates our apartment breaks fire code 
you know, the landlord owns a bunch of other properties and probably like doesn't remember that he has this right. prime real estate property in a <laughs> shitty building, right. um, you know, in like a prime neighborhood. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, people here are not like hustling and on the grind in the same way that New York and LA are. And I feel like LA is, I mean, they're just bubbles too. Like, I feel like I go there and it's like everyone drives a Prius and it's like talking shit about republicans and i'm like okay this is cool like i'm i'm into this too but like it doesn't seem grounded yeah 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 <laughs> it seems like a little like cloud nine in a way that i feel like over a long period of time might be unhealthy and you might lose perspective with you know like other people <laughs> i don't think that's might like i think you absolutely do lose perspective i think um but does that exist for you in your industry right i mean you have worked on TV shows here in Chicago, Chicago Fire, and one of their sister shows. I've worked on all of them. Yeah, a lot, a lot of them. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, so, like, what is what is the model now for a filmmaker like yourself who has received great acclaim and has projects bubbling? Um, what are you sacrificing by living in Chicago and? Is there any advantage you have by staying here aside from affordability? I don't know. I'm still like figuring it out. I'm like, I have an agent that I've been rep by for the past year and a half. And, you know, I've done like general meetings every time I'm in LA, you know, with like producers and studio heads and whatever. Um, I have a feeling if I lived in LA, it would just be a lot more of those and maybe mm-hmm. things like projects would move along quicker. Um, but, you know, like, uh, I, I'm I'm an, like, the industry is a heat seeking missile and I'm hot right now right you know so it's like I could live anywhere and I would still like get interest and I would still get calls from what I understand I don't know I'm Dude, 30 so and I dope. just like that my first home. I don't know the world. that's so yeah. sick that's incredible um so yeah I mean like that's I have like a lot of spinning plates right now like I, I'm almost done with my second documentary which like I started before mining the gap was finished and maybe that tanks and maybe right. <laughs> like, you right. know, I won't be hot and I'll be like scraping by on, on TV shows again. <laughs> um, I don't know. But like at the end of the day, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel like I had a way in my head, like whether or not it's worth like moving to LA to pursue that career. Like how much do I care about like, um, you know, the industry? I, I, I care more about, um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, life and people and, yeah. and you know other values I have. You yeah. Know. Um, um, are you at a place where you can talk a little bit about the second documentary? Because as I understand it, it's about Chicago. Well, it's about these two job training programs in neighborhoods. Uh, one of the neighborhoods most affected by gun violence: West Garfield Park and Englewood. And they take in young guys ages eighteen to twenty-four and. Um, you know, they get paid to learn a trade like HVAC, electrical or carpentry. And at the same time, they're getting um, treated for, you know, trauma and, and, and they're, they're sort of getting um, they're getting challenged to confront the past and their emotions hmm. and their emotional responses. In order that's to, part to of the grow. job training. Like that's part of the. Yeah, it's part of like what they get paid to come to do cool. every week. So, you know, we're tracking people um, in these in these uh programs uh over the course of nine months to a year and so you know it's 
the easiest the easier way that I could describe it is a project about Chicago gun violence. But right, right. you know, it's just as much about Chicago gun violence as Mining the Gap is about skateboarding, right? It's like you, it's it's character driven, intimate. You know, you see all these issues sort of come out of uh, what it means for these young men to uh, grow and come of age, so to speak, in the course of a year. Um, I imagine that that, like Mining the Gap, is a uh, trying or an, a, a challenging filming experience. Um, when you're making a project like that um, or like Mining the Gap, do you find yourself, um, like, do you get exhausted? Like, do you get, wh- what does it do to you? What, 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 is it, what does it take out of you? Uh, I get burnt out. And, you know, Mining the Gap, I did, like, a lot of the other, you know, passion projects, you know, <laughs> I just did on my own. And there wasn't that, it was kind of a struggle because there was no, there, you know, there was like a struggle to get funding and support. But, right. um, you know, like the timeline was all on my own with this project and these other things coming down the pipe. Like, you know, I do feel like I have to answer to executives, quote unquote executives. Right? Right. And I have, you know, like I'm expected to deliver this with my co-director, Josh Altman, um, by the Sundance deadline later this year, you know, and it's like, it's, it's more pressure. Um, and so there's two things, I, you know, I struggle with the normal things of like, you know, like burnout and like time management and, uh, just the stresses of a job. Right. Um, the other thing is, you know, there's what is best for a story and what is best for the representation of, somebody's life especially somebody living in a community like this which i'm an outsider to uh and to really do it right but it's right up against you know the <laughs> capitalistic demands right. of how this industry works right um that i think is the thing that sometimes keeps me up at night and uh yeah yeah that's hard man i mean yeah. to make an art object out of human suffering is what we've been doing forever, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we have taken suffering and made it into literature and poetry and film as long as the mediums have existed. Um, But when it becomes a question of how to sell it or market it, um, you go into different territory. Um, I imagine that's challenging. Uh, I want to ask you rapid fire questions. Are you ready for them? Yes. They're very big. First of all, you've traveled a lot. Um, in the last year, yes. Uh, what what is a place that you have gone that surprised you, um, in in what it's up to? Like, what's a place that's doing a thing that you didn't expect it to be doing? Um, probably tell you ride. No, Poland. Poland brought me out, and a film festival that, like brought me out to three different cities, and um, it's crazy. I mean, it's like everything there is just so defined by not defined by, but you just see their effects of world war two like everywhere it's like so built into the history of that country i mean it's just like you know bullet holes left intentionally on the side of a wall with like this these like monikers for the polish underground which is like this resistance group at the time that was fighting and like statues everywhere and like yeah it's it's crazy to think that you know history can be so felt in that way and in a way that i feel like we don't necessarily get to experience in the states yeah we're really bad at memory right like we don't (laughs) either for one thing we're a very young nation and for another thing our nation is largely defined by this period 
that we or two periods at least that we would like to pretend didn't happen, right? You know, the uh, the decimation of a native population and then slavery, right? Mm-hmm. So we are a country that has a very very uh, awkward relationship with memory. Mm-hmm. And if you travel to Poland and you travel to Hungary, you can or you know it, generally anywhere in Europe, you can see that they're much better at reckoning with their past. For one, because it's a lot longer than ours, and they have other things before it and after it. And then two, um, because they know that they have to confront that shit, right? I mean, the way that Germany has confronted, you know, it's not, it's not called the memorial to, um, a bunch of people who died. It's called the memorial to the murdered Jews of Germany. (sighs) Sorry. No, no, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I think I had this exalted like view of Europe. And then for the first time ever last year, I went there a lot. And I even saw this film called The Silence of Others that was like on the tour with me. And it was about the the Spanish dictator Franco mm-hmm. and like the genocide that him that his regime yeah. you know, like <laughs> did. And it was about how the government in Spain literally passed a law that uh, like, like made everyone forget and not talk about it. Right. Um, and it was about like the people who were family members of the of, of some of the victims of that genocide, um, like trying to overturn that law and then succeeding. Right. Um, so it is really interesting how collectively memory really affects how we see ourselves and yeah. how we you know like treat yeah. people and move forward as a people and a country. Yeah. Yeah. National trauma. National trauma. Huh. The pain, yeah, the past is so painful. I mean, that's something that it's a big theme of the film. Actually, we're working on both personally, the past is painful, but you know, in Chicago, the past is painful, and like as a nation, the past is painful. But it's it's like the only way we can really move forward in a healthy way is to really confront it. Yeah, to confront it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that was a, that was a backfire of a rapid fire question. <laughs> that was supposed to go. You're, tra- you're tra- looking for like singular answers. Yeah, right, we're gonna do it. We're gonna go. We're gonna go here. All right. Thunders or indies? Uh, thunders. I've I've broken a lot of indie kingpins for some reason. Also, like, thunders are. Bing, you're a very you're a very slim man. How are you breaking kingpins? Well, when I was younger, and I used to like do flip tricks all the time, and uh, <laughs> I don't know, and like ride trucks for like <laughs> ten setups because I didn't have money to. Yeah. Follow up <laughs> rapid fire question: Is the indie cross racist or not? Uh, the, the independent Iron Cross. Well, you can't say like it's all racist, but like I think it has connotations with certain groups that make it uncomfortable. That is the correct answer. You're <laughs> right. Okay. Next question. Rapid fire. Mob or Jessup? Uh, Jessup. Because it's it's made it's manufactured in Illinois. Really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I just it was like always just like the one that was more available. It's at my local for shop. one thing. It's free. Yeah, yeah, it's the free one. Yeah. For another thing, it, it actually works well. It doesn't bubble skate. up like a, uh, some piece of shit. Do you <laughs> plain black grip or colorful slash designed? For the last few boards, plain, but I used to do the clear cover and I used to do actually New Yorker covers when I used to subscribe to the New Yorker. Oh, that's sort of a, that's sort of a weenie move. It's a very weenie move. Oh, I love but it, it was like when it was first, you know, and yeah. You're- you Sorry, are, that's that's you nice. are a weenie. No, it's a weenie. I'm a weenie. You were a weenie before yeah. before weenie was cool. Yeah. Uh, favorite skater you've ever filmed and why? <laughs> uh, I never really like was a fan of him, but for some reason I was working on this 
TV pilot when I was 20 um, up in Michigan and they had casted Mike Bilaley, oh, like wow. as a character. Wow. And they knew that I would like skated and film skating. So they were like, here, take a height camera and film like Mike Bilaley, like playing this character. And so, like, I filmed, I just went out and, like, filmed him for, like, half a day. He, like, On a V, like, what kind of camera? It was, like, a high eight camera. Okay. Yeah. And it, he just, like, he wore this long blonde wig and he, like, you know, went into a store, got a two liter of orange soda, like, you know, like, chugged it, like, <laughs> skated around this Michigan town. I think it was, like, Lansing. <laughs> it was a, kind of a crazy experience. Uh, I, too, called him Valeli growing up. Do you, do you believe it's Valeli? Or are I we don't... right? Is it Valeli? I'm I, I'm going with what I call them. Yeah. Uh, until I'm corrected. Yeah. No, I think yeah. I think that's up to us. <laughs> uh, front side, back side. You ready? Okay. Slappy. Uh, back side because I can do them better. Okay. No comply. Back side. Kickflip. Front side. Do you believe in the human soul? Yes. How does it express itself? Love. The Rockford bump that Nathan Porter once Nolly full cab heel flipped off of. Jesus. Does it still exist? That was a Midwest video. Midwestern, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they skated to the New Order song, Craft. Uh, I know that video really well because it's very influential on me filming. Uh, it does not still exist. I think it got torn out a couple years ago. Okay. Hulu or Netflix? Hulu. Hulu. Uh, theater or watching at home on your couch? Theater. Oscars or Golden Globes? Uh, Oscars because I didn't go to the Golden Globes. Name three names better than the name Oscar. <laughs> Grant. Um, uh, Morgan. Philip. Philip. <laughs> Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Um, so one thing I remember from the Oscars, the first 15 minutes of it that I watched, because I only watched, and you had to sit there for the whole thing. What I remember is Aquaman being up there and reading the award. And when he read Free Solo, he like thrusted his arm up in the air. He was like, Free Solo. And now this motherfucker is like getting filmed skateboarding around. And apparently he can varial flip. So now he's like he can down. Can varial flip? I think so. I think he can. Um, do you ever rock climb? Uh, I've climbed once at a gym and once out in the wild terrifying have you i used to i like in junior high i like rock climbed which was way before school and that's when like the early green day albums were coming out and it was a whole thing it was like you go to the gym you listen to green day you're in seventh grade then you go skate at night it was a, it was a lifestyle it was amazing i i do wonder this though so the you know way who, you know who i just found out like is really into rock climbing jesse ward uh really yeah also colin reed oh, that makes sense that makes sense Oh man, I was supposed to ask you about your favorite skate filmmakers, but oh. you're going to say Colin Reed and Jacob Harris. Who's Jacob Harris? Jacob Harris is the Atlantic Drift guy. The, oh. all the Isle videos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the cl- the old school classic is like Jason Hernandez. Yeah. Right? Um, you don't think he lost any credit by making those Nike videos? I think I'm talking pre Nike. I'm talking Trans World. Jason okay. Hernandez. Okay. Like that was you know, childhood hero filmer. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Colin Reed, just like in terms of like modern day VX filmmaker, like yeah. it's he did hard it. to talk. He did it. I mean, it's <laughs> insane. It. Yeah. Uh, and he's just a really cool dude. 
and he's like he's like he's really smart he like very well read um do you feel a little so like one thing that happens to me now when these young people are smart and good at skateboarding and like <laughs> is i start feeling a little threatened i start thinking like no 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 there are only so many of us who are sort of smart and like doing this in a in a thoughtful way you guys can't we got to be like we've got too many now no i think it's like i think skateboarders rule the world i think like we take over all those all those spots from i sort of skateboarders i feel like it's you know that's the solidarity i'm compelled re- redraw the boundaries of us and them <laughs> yeah i like that i like yeah. that i'm compelled to tell you something which is and, and i'm sorry to harp on this but i feel i feel legitimately that you were your film and the the team that put your film together um, were legitimately robbed of an Oscar. Like, I think that was an actual travesty. Like as much as I care about awards, which is not very much (laughs) and particularly the Oscars, I think it's it's crazy. Like once you see the inside game, it's, it's so much like a political campaign. It matters how much a, a film's distributor spends money. Yeah. It matters how much you hobnob. I feel like, yeah. Um, you know, like, so free solo is national geographic. They spent so much money. Like every, like so many of the other like pre-Oscars awards gals we went to, like National Geographic was sponsoring nights. Where, you know, like there's one night where National Geographic like sponsored like a after award ceremony, like filmmaker go out drinking night. And we get to the bar and like they're serving these margaritas, which is like the house, whatever, like the that drink for that night that you can order for free. Yeah. And they serve them in these like National Geographic, like aluminum cups with the carabiner like handle. I said like um, for your consideration. Yeah. <laughs> Those fuckers. Those fuckers. You know, but, but I mean, that's one example. And like RBG was Magnolia. They spent a ton of money and they had, you know, they had Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They had like that. So it's like, it's crazy if you're in the race and you actually have stakes in it, like you start to see and care about like, right. you know, how it all works. And it is like, you know, like, your distributor if they have the money and if they if they think you have a shot like they do want you to go out and kiss babies and shake hands right you know you're a politician <sighs> but i i do feel compelled to tell you this and i'm i don't know if this is touching a nerve or if this is out of line but i went on a saturday at 2 30 p.m i got fairly high and went and sat at the imax screening of what? Free solo. Free solo. The the, the and climbing maybe movie. Pierre? No, here at on Webster. On on no on uh Western Ave. They have an IMAX. They have an Am- oh, I thought there was yeah. only Navy. Oh Pierre. no, there are IMAX everywhere. So I, I get high and I go there and the theater is mostly empty. And so I'm able to sit right in the like optimal sort of central view. And I found it to be a, a totally appalling view viewing experience. I was incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable. I was moved at times. I thought the stuff about his amygdala was super interesting. Um, but the whole time I was just thinking like, this isn't that good of a move. This is a feat. Like this is an accomplishment. This is a, a feat of filmmaking. Like technically what went into this was totally incredible. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, except that I just, I, I'm, I'm terribly disappointed that what was, without a doubt the most moving cinematic experience that I've experienced for the last five to 10 years. Um, a film that I think will 
completely for years to come define the way that both skaters and non-skaters alike think of this weird activity and the people who do it and the way that we relate to each other and the way that we talk and the challenges we have with communicating with each other. It is a terrible shame to me that your film didn't win every single award that is offered. I think it was an astounding piece of art. I am incredibly impressed by what you've done. I'm so grateful for this conversation we've had that just hit an hour, 10 minutes. Um, and I'm, I'm also just super proud of you. I'm so proud to be able to say that I know this guy. I watched him struggle with this project early and it's fucking killer. And I'm stoked for you and I'm happy. Thanks, Kyle. Um, is there anything else you want to add for the Vent City listeners? Anywhere between eight and... 400 we have no idea how many we have i don't know <laughs> you don't keep track no i don't i don't i'm a li- i don't pay attention to numbers ryan lay is our number guy do, do you think it's interesting that skateboarding really like can be this um aisle crosser um between you know so many different groups that are progressive and mm-hmm. conservative and uh i don't know because it's not that for me anymore right i'm a i'm a 40 year old man right like (laughs) i i skate with you know i skate with a group of old people and i don't know that we all agree politically you know like i think of the crew of people i skate with we're generally like-minded but i know we have different opinions about jason jesse and i know that i've talked to people about what they see as the value of skateboarding heritage, right? And we, you know, we've had totally civil conversations about that. Um, I don't know that I'm super interested in crossing aisles at this point, right? Like, I think for me, skateboarding is um, a way to be around friends. Like, it's not a tool of outreach for me personally. It's a thing I think about all the time. Um, I'm super happy to talk about it. I'm super happy to do it when I physically can. Um, I feel like the work of crossing aisles and the work of outreach and the work of building community is not mine, but I I do think that that's part of what skateboarding is. And I hopefully will be more a part of what skateboarding is going forward. Um, But for me, it's just not like, that's not what I'm up to. One other thing that from that first episode that I loved was learning about Kristen's, uh, the the zine that she was part of where they Fuck just yeah. like flipped like gender oh do you pronouns. want i have a copy in the kitchen i'll give one it was to amazing you. i was like this is genius yeah like, what's it like being the only boy yeah. yeah i was like whoa yeah it makes it so it makes it <laughs> yeah, seem it's so like totally clear. ludicrous it's like, oh, okay yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and i mean like how oh, god how many of those things exist right like yeah. there was a there was a thing kristen sent me the other day it was like the u.s olympic post about uh mariah what is is her name dunham i'm fuck i'm so bad um and it was basically introducing the women's u.s olympic team and it spoke of her as a classic triple threat like talent uh hard work and great looks and it's like are you fucking joking this was like recent this was last week like (laughs) this is the u.s olympic team and this is how we are speaking of the u.s olympic team on Instagram, like front facing, public facing discourse. Like also she's pretty. It's like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. And that's it. Like, so yeah, I guess my, my point right now is like, I'm not super interested in crossing aisles. I'm more interested in like 
come on, you fuck, fucking come on, come on, <laughs> like let's let's fucking go, let's do a little better. Um, and as and yeah, you know, in as much as, in as much as there are people listening to that, it seems like there's got to be, and you know, this was the whole thing with the Jason Jesse thing that like primitive progressivism, like if if you are going to change minds in skateboarding, you can't do it. I don't think based on my experience of skateboarding, what skateboarding has always been in my life, which is this like rough and rugged sort of um, disjointed, unorganized sort of idea of what skateboarding is. You can't just do it by like reaching across the aisle and being nice. Like it's gotta be a kind of fuck you. Um, and so, yeah, like fuck off, fuck, fuck that, fuck that. She's a triple threat. Cause mm-hmm. one of the threats is prettiness. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a threat. That's not, that's not one of three threats. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that you noticed because you're a fucking man, but it's not important. It's unimportant. It's boring. It's the most boring thing about her. Do you think that rebelliousness is still a part of the skateboarding that is? Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I think less. I think it's as it's more, you mean like people who are doing it now who are young? Yeah. Like with the, with the inculcation of the new, newest. Yeah. Probably not. Love of skateboarding. Probably not, probably not like rebel, not rebellion per se, mm. but for me, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly rebel. You know, I was in the suburbs. It was like annoying. It wasn't rebelling. <laughs> it wasn't rebelling. It was like, this'll, this'll sort of bum these people out, but we weren't doing it to like, it, the, our ethos wasn't punk rock. We were like, we like, we like rap music from Oakland. You know, we like, we like underground rap and speakers in our car and riding skateboards around the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. But that aspect of fuck you like that. Yeah. Do you think that is no longer? No, it exists in street skating for sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't exist if what, what your experience of skateboarding is, is going to a park in a minivan and being dropped off and picked up two hours later. Um, But I, I, I continue to think that those kids who are dropped off at the skate park and you know, a parent will be back two hours later in the caravan. I think those, those skaters are probably interested still in like sneaking out of the park and like going a mile down the road and skating some ledge. And then, so yeah, I think so. Like, I think the activity itself, I think, I think the activity itself remains conducive to, or a gateway to, um, pushing against boundaries. Even if those boundaries are angle ironed, perfect ledges that are made for skateboarding, I still think just the act of jumping on them and doing it over and over again and chipping the concrete of the ledge and doing that, I think does kind of open up into this idea of like, oh, this is this, this feels exciting. It feels exciting to have this sort of collision. Like, I think there's something about the collision of truck and metal. I think there's something about the collision of elbow and ground that encourages people to pursue other forms of aggression, abrasion, or collision. Sometimes I feel like skateboarding is like about like just fulfilling voids mm. in your experience of what all this is. Yeah. This being yeah. this existence, this 70, 80 year existence yeah. on this earth. Yeah. So then if you're a super rebellious person, skateboarding is a way to like, or if you're a person who grows up in turmoil, as you said, skateboarding is a way to like find control. 
-hmm. Whereas if you're a person who grows up in privilege or in beauty, skateboarding is a way to like access a darker side. Do you ever have feelings that your skateboarding is going to like take a lesser role in your life? Um, I have dread and you know, no, not dread. Cause dread is aimless. Um, I have fear of what happens when my body can't do it anymore. Mm. I have a very real fear of what that is. And it's almost enough for, to make me like learn how to skate transition. <laughs> like actually you can skate transition some, but not like, I'm not like, I've, I've seen you a little village plaza doing the little corner cut I'll thing. I'll five Oh, <laughs> but you know, like I, I imagine a, a you know, I'm 40, I'm 40. You're a 40 year old street skater. I'm a 40 year old straight <laughs> skater. Transition. Yeah. 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 Because I don't, I don't like it. I mean, I didn't grow up with parks. There were no parks when I grew up. There were no ramps. Like we would build these weird janky ass ramps out of like, you know, wainscoting and like, you know, like they weren't ramps. <laughs> there were no ramps in Missouri in, in 1989 um, that I skated. So yeah, we like skated on driveways and skated on curbs. And that's what my idea of skating is. So I don't know, man. Like, I think you'll be, I think I'll be able to like ollie up a curb. I'm finding so much joy these days and just like riding the train to the loop and pushing around the loop for like 45 minutes, maybe hitting chase for a little bit and like mellow tricks, board slides, nose slides, tail slides. On what? Grinds, the, grinds. The, the, just the, the little, the fuck, the lead, the. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Not, not off. No. <laughs> And like, you know, I'm finding joy in that and then riding the train home and like taking a book and reading the book on the train, skating around, riding the train back. Yeah. So as long as I can do that, it's great. But I also know there will be a time I can't do that. That's terrifying. And I know it freaks out my wife. I mean, she's deeply afraid of that. All right, now and we're back. Kyle, thank you so much. That was amazing. Uh, Bing is not only a legendary filmmaker but a hardcore skater. Uh, what do what do we think about this uh, this interview and and more broadly the the film Minding the Gap? I'm gonna just gush about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think gushing is well deserved um, by by the film's part and, and by the interview. Part. So, would you like to gush? Um, permission to gush. P permission <laughs> gush granted. <laughs> um, yeah, I love this film so much. I thought it was the most important film that I saw in the last year. Um, I actually ended up watching it because my ovary exploded last August um, randomly when I was on a vacation with my husband. First day, I get off the plane and have a tremendous pain and. So I get rushed to the hospital, blah, 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 had emergency surgery, and then I'm stuck at my brother's house in like Silicon Valley, um, where we know Silicon Valley is just full of boosted boards. It's just a boring, <laughs> soulless place um, little, of little boxes. So I'm sitting, and I, of course, my brother has a Hulu account. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, ooh, what's this? And I popped it on, and I just absolutely loved it. Like everything that was in that film, I just thought was so important um it was such 
uh, a beautiful way to talk about a really hard issue, um, such as like domestic violence, toxic masculinity, um, and how those things are cyclical potentially and, and how they impact people. Um, and it really, I think, um, struck me because I'm a believer that skateboarding is a really positive vehicle for change. And yeah, it can be a shut up and just skate, bro type of thing. And there's that side of skating, but I'm on the wing of skateboarding. That's like skateboarding can have an extremely powerful impact. And so I think this film is so important because the themes that it presents and the conversations that it sparks, um, are things that a haven't been really talked about in skateboarding at all. And they need to be talked about and b that, um, skateboarding can be a gateway for people to have those conversations, um, in the interview being talked about how, you know, people under their forties were like, oh man, I never even thought about my childhood until now. Or, oh man, I just realized that, you know, I really related to this on this level. Um, and so I just thought it was just such a beautiful, beautiful use of skateboarding, um, and filmmaking obviously. And it was just beautiful. I love it so much. And I've forced so many people to watch it. I think I've watched it like five times. And they probably loved wow. it, right? I mean, that's the thing is that I get, you know, everyone has friends outside of skateboarding to a certain degree or moves through social circles that aren't specifically skate circles. And the number of people who have like approached me because they finally had a thing to talk, like, you know, they know I'm into skateboarding. And so they're finally like, oh my God, I saw this movie. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Um, mm. People were moved, man. People who have nothing to do with skateboarding finally felt like they had some new understanding of like, oh, that's like, that's it. I see. It's not just trying something a thousand times, you know, in this weird way that nobody will understand. It's that, oh, it's these other things. Yeah, I thought a lot of skateboarders really vibed with it, too. And there's just so many skate films that came out sort of all kind of at the same time. You know, and you mentioned this, too, in the interview is like, you know, there's mid 90s or Skate Kitchen, you know, um, and I just thought this film was so, so important and, and kind of blew everybody else out of the water. Um, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, at least in my circles, uh, one thing I found to be really interesting is that this this film did enter the mainstream, you know, like, uh, like I saw a photo with being with Obama on his Instagram. I think he like shortlisted it. <laughs> Dude, as one he of his got to meet films. Nathan Fielder. Yeah. I'm so yeah. jealous. Yeah, more importantly, got to meet Nathan Fielder. Uh, <gasps> but yeah, it nominated for an Oscar. But like a lot of the, a lot of the talk that I heard with skaters is like they didn't even like it didn't even enter the mainstream like of the industry like you didn't really see a lot of um i don't know there you, wasn't. yeah there wasn't a lot of like coverage. one i mean there was no coverage or pr there were no interviews with being in any sort of like mainstream media no walmart a ads a lot of skateboarders that i know at least either didn't it wasn't even on their radar at all or they saw it and kind of reflexively went yeah i don't know films about skateboarding are usually bad and cheesy and i just don't i didn't really want to watch it so which is such a disappointment you know so will harms from um free skate mag in london um kind of addressed that because there there were showings in london um and he, he basically said like hey man when i saw that trailer i was pretty sure this was not a movie i wanted to see Right. Like there was something about the way that the trailer presented the film that to him just kind of pressed all the like warning buttons that as skaters we've we've learned to like avoid like, no, no, no. This is going to be another one of these kind of debacles. Um, and so I think a lot of it had to do with the way that the production company marketed the film as 
you know, primarily not trying to reach a skateboard audience because skateboard audiences don't generally spend money. Skateboard audiences <laughs> don't generally, I mean, you know, a lot of skaters, if they have a Hulu account, probably share it with eight other skaters or yeah. their mom. I share it with you. Right. Well, yeah, thank you for that, Ted. But I downloaded like, the free trial. And, right. and me, Ted. <laughs> yeah. But I think... I don't think I'll it get was. It I don't think it was really geared toward like skaters. I think the idea, and I think people are still trying to figure out like Hollywood production companies, publishing houses, um, are still trying to figure out like is there actually a marketplace for our art, our entertainment object? Who are skaters? Like, can we count on? All of these people who are now skateboarding, are they actually going to consume something? And I think they're kind of scared because generally we don't. We're kind of like, fuck that. That's made by some guy who can't even kickflip or whatever. And it's also probably on the other side of it. It's like if anyone who works in a <clears throat> publishing house or in a mar- for a marketing firm uh, has any background with skating, they probably quit. And they're like, oh, that was that thing that was cool and like the eighties or like, you know, some 10 year cycle. Um, and so they also don't see that as a sustainable market to reach out to. They don't realize that there are 40 year olds that once had regular salaries that would spend money to yeah, see, maybe. see things, you know, yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's both, you know, it's like, it's maybe it's, it's skaters aren't the most like, uh, easily tappable market. And also like, there's not a m- much of incentive to do so. If it were. I feel like I feel like this conversation kind of misses the mark a little bit because it's not that it wasn't marketed to skateboarders. It's that like being who is an actual skateboarder made like legit the most incredible film yeah. using skateboarding as a, as a lens. And no one in the industry thought to like, oh, well, let's just promote this ourselves, you know, in the way that. They do with like every, you know, independent video or whatever content that comes out. I mean, yeah, there was a whole lot of fucking mid nineties promo from Thrasher and from Jankum and from the skate. Yeah. Well, isn't yeah. that Let isn't me that, jump oh, in. And mid nineties had reached out to Yeah, sorry, Kristen. Oh, I was just gonna say I got Tech Decks from mid nineties. I got Jonah Hill's magazine sent to my office. I got free tickets that I didn't use. Um, there was a lot of promo and same thing with Skate Kitchen. There was full on people behind those films trying to capitalize on the opportunity. And I don't know how it all works on the back end, but that was my experience running like a skateboard nonprofit. I was definitely targeted and reached out to as regards to both of those films. But as far as Minding the Gap, it's like a documentary. So I feel like it's just, it's a different beast. And, um, I mean, I'm not sure if it was necessarily marketed or made or whatever with like our specific audience in mind. I think at the end of the day, it's like skateboarding is a part of it, but it's like, it's a film about, um, you know, domestic violence and the yeah, effects. Yeah, for sure. It's not a film about skateboarding. It's just yeah. skateboarding and happens I think that's to be okay. the kind of vehicle like, for, yeah. If skaters course. don't want to watch it because they're too busy skating or watching or digesting, you know, other skate content, that's fine. But I want to encourage everybody listening right now, if you haven't seen it, download a free Hulu account right now and go watch it. It's an important piece. And it's you should have conversations with all your friends about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it it is important. My my thoughts on the film in general. Um, I, I I came out of it feeling in, incredibly moved and sort of uh, sort of emotionally exhausted because it did, of course, like Kyle said, it made me cry. It made me confront a lot of things that I didn't want to think 
that skaters were possible. Like, you know, this is an issue that I've been having where, I, where I've wanted to say that if you're a skater, you're a certain type of person. But, but when you realize that, you know, you're not exempt from anything just because you ride a skateboard and you're not exempt from the, the cycles of abuse that happen, um, you know, between, between fathers and sons. Um, and I, I remember getting out of it and then thinking about, um, I, I want to say Zach's character, but it's not a, it, right. it's a documentary. Right, right, right. Um, it's like, I, I've gotten to the stage where, where I'm so fed up with, with the sort of hyper-masculine view uh, and language in skaters. And, and so, you know, when he says the line about, you know, sometimes you, 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 you try to deescalate a situation, you try to, you try to say, you try to walk away, but if she gets in your way, you know, sometimes like you have to hit somebody or, or I can't remember what, what, oh, what God, the quote is, but I, fucking brutal. I, yeah. I was like, you know, I saw it and I was like, fuck you, man fuck all this like i i just it just ignited something in me that just basically i was like i was like dude skaters aren't allowed to say that <laughs> um like and 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 so it just you know it's one of those moments where you realize that the, that the beast is is inside your scene and, and goddamn dude you know and, and we talked about this and that kind of allowing bing to <clears throat> not pulling those those kind of brutal moments that show that um how he's been affected by his environment and the kind of person he's grown into the kind of father that he had grown into in those moments i think you know it's been a couple of years removed now and i hope that he's in a better place um but but to kind of show that you know regardless of if skating is a refuge for you from your dysfunctional household um you the 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 sort of the the things that show up in those environments, um, skating alone can't save you from them. I think, um, yeah, sorry, Ted, are, are you, I'm kind of winding down, but, um, but, but I, I just remember thinking that, um, I, I was so thankful, um, to, to Bing for, um, you know, putting a mirror back onto sort of, uh, you know, to, to, skaters and and to show that you know um for, for me you know they're you know in a lot of ways we're not we're not special you know the, the skateboard won't keep you from from all the other pitfalls yeah i'd say related to that too is like how beautiful the skate footage was and yeah. it was interesting yep. to hear how he films that like i had no idea i was like oh this is just some weird high-tech camera like a drone but like he's literally running with this camera equipment on like that's wild i need to look that up more um but it was cool to see the juxtaposition of the really beautiful skate uh, footage and um kira and zach are just like brilliant skaters right but then to see like the differences in their personalities because i think that speaks to your point ted is like we often see people like oh that guy's such a great skater like great skater like great dude okay but then Mm -hmm. it's like you see the different ways that they are navigating their life and the ways that they're showing up and like you know, it's very stark, the difference that you see between following Kier and following Zach, the paths that they take, the decisions that they make. And, you know, they both sort of represent like people in imperfect scenarios, but like the ways in which they are navigating them fundamentally, like Zach needs a lot of help, right? And I hope he's in a good space now, you know? Um, But just- Kier is such a bright spot. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's sort of like, 
I I did also get out of the movie just thinking like what what an incredible person he is, and he actually lives in Phoenix now. I hope that we have a chance to talk to him at some point. Um, he's get getting birdhouse. He's getting birdhouse boards. I think. Yeah, he had a clip in uh, Beautiful Mutants. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, he's great all the time. One of the things that really uh, hit me really hard about the film is just the ways in which I mean, you know, from my experience, like young boy skaters just like grow up so much between the ages of like 18 and 24 and I don't know exactly the time frame that the the film was made but uh, that's something that like I've seen time and time again with with young kids is that like they graduate from high school and they're you know they start partying and it's just like dude life just fucking hits you like a brick wall and you can just fuck so many things up in a few years and it's not irreparable damage but you really have to kind of be mindful of that stuff and it's really nice to kind of i hope you know young kids will watch that and kind of realize that like oh like the decisions i have that like you know the scene in the beginning when they're kind of like all sitting around by the pool and just kind of drinking beer and they have their whole lives ahead of them and then you fast forward to an hour and a half two hours into the film and you're just like crying and uh you know zach's just like sitting there drinking a beer and (laughs) yeah it's fuck man yeah it's it's brutal um and and it's like it it really pains me because i just see the older you get the more that you kind of constantly see that cycle just repeat itself yeah Yeah. i think we all have people in our lives that kind of are like zach i'd say like at least for me like i've seen that path of a skater you know go from being like really talented really bright and then just like kind of just ended up not really doing much and you know not to come across like judgmental i don't know this person on a personal level but just the way that he's portrayed in the film and knowing how i saw him navigate life you know Um, Yeah, something I I kind of wish that we had asked being this, but for me, like, yeah, like you have this reaction to to Zach's, um, you know, like his his mistakes that is really visceral and it's you're just kind of repulsed by his behavior. But upon like the, the finale of the film, you're kind of feeling like, well, to me, it felt like Zach's redemptive quality was kind of like signing off on this film as like a almost like a sacrifice for the the maybe like the yeah. movement at large you know that yeah. like he's kind of like going down with the ship because i don't really know the relationship between how much uh control being had over like basically what he was going to use but it seems to me that like they're still pretty close mm-hmm. friends and then uh yeah i don't know that was an interesting dynamic to me which is that mm-hmm. i don't I, like if i were zach i would i would be really embarrassed about the footage that is in the film and um yeah i don't know it just doesn't land without that footage too i think yeah yeah it doesn't land without it and like you know he's kind of like in a way um i don't know like he's taking the hit for for younger kids who can watch the film and look and see that like you know it's not like it can happen to you (laughs) it happens very very easily i think one thing to really make clear about that also is that that's a largely a testament to bing's um, capacity and skill set as an interviewer and as a filmmaker, right? I mean, if yeah, I, I know that he spent some time in Phoenix talking to people in the early stages of making this film, um, and you know, as I as came out in the beginning of that interview, um, he and I talked, and I was immediately lulled into this kind of comfort with him, right? He's just exceptionally good at it. Um, and the other thing I think is really important is that Bing is 
I think he would probably agree with this. I think Bing is a romantic. Like I think he's rooted in a really basic and atomic belief in human love and he believes in redemption and he believes um, that whatever Zach has been through, that there's always going to be this kind of potential for him to uh, turn a corner and to become, you know, potentially a, a different person. And, you know, he believes that people are in circumstances. He believes he's, he's a hopeful person, I think. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that comes through in that movie as well. Yeah. And how, also just how brave of being to, to, um, kind of let his editor go through and 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 cut his inter cut the cut Bing's interview with his mom um you know because you know it, it's sort of his baby but but to really get at the at the heart of 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 how Bing fits into the story you have to have um the interview play um the, the way it did b- between him confronting his mom um, like you said, when when it was when it when it, when the edit was up to Bing, it was just sort of a nice thing with his mom being like, "Hey, you know there were there were troubles back then, and and that wasn't good." And she's like, "Yeah, I know it wasn't good." But then when you when when you let the ed- the edit play sort of in a more brutally honest way, like his assistant editor cut yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I think most of us, like you were saying with Zach's story, you'd want to go, oh, no, 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 that's too gnarly, man. Like, I don't want, like, that's not how I wanted to be seen or whatever. Um, but once again, um, you know, it kind of shows some bravery in, in knowing how or, or letting go of that, you know, kind of letting go of that insecurity or that self-consciousness or, or that um, just let being more vulnerable to letting that scene play out that way. I thought that was um, incredibly brave of him. And it, I, I admire him a lot, although he didn't use... Um, any of the clips that he and I had filmed like five years ago. So. <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> that dude has so many hours of footage. It's yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he chased me in Phoenix with his with his setup, and uh, I'm gonna find him. Just hasn't seen the light of day. It's fucked. Can we just like heavily co-sign <laughs> crying? Also, that was a part of the interview. That <laughs> yeah. God damn, I, I love, love crying. that. Yeah, More skates crying. Yeah, that was a that, that yeah. was a good moment for me. Honestly, my record before that for most times I've watched a movie and also cried the entire time was watching The Notebook and this movie. Oh yeah, Lining the Gap has now replaced The Notebook as the movie I've watched the most in a row and cried to. Congrats, Bing. Good job, Bing. Let's burn some shit down, huh? Well, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now we're uh, now we're at our favorite section of the show, Funeral Pyre. Who's going first? My my first one going into this, I didn't know that we were going to start um, a thing about Pablo, but but before I switch over, I mean, it was just about skaters dying. Like fuck, I'm f- fuck no more. Like <laughs> goddamn it, just everybody be cool out there. Like I can't. Um, but do you have one, Ted? Because I've got one for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have. I was just. Now, now that you've like talked about skaters dying, I, songs and video parts doesn't sound so uh, <laughs> kind of doesn't have the bite that I had intended. You know, I, I was kind of hoping to just flatten everything with that one, but uh, <laughs> so, yeah. all video parts, no songs. You're saying we go straight like yeah, Johnny Dan, Wilson Dan, style, Dan Wolf, yeah, Dan Wolf, 
Dan Wolf, Dan yeah. Dan Wolf. Ooh. Except Dan Wolf cut that shit to heart in uh, what what was his retrospective video called? Um, uh, overexposure? No, <laughs> shut the fuck up. What the hell was it? Closure. Sorry. Closure. Closure. Yeah, yeah. Overexposure. <laughs> Closure is a fucking great video. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, you can tell. Uh, where yeah, my what head are you talking about? All videos, about. Instagram videos. Yeah, uh, no, Instagram videos only. Let's just put it that way. No more fucking music on your Instagram clip, dude, because it's always bad, and it's just like so. It's like so overly finicky and thought out for such a shitty medium. I think that's fucked up, Ted. You didn't like the the videos I edited to the Hamilton soundtrack I th- for a year. <laughs> I, I, I did not. Yeah, actually, no. I edit. I, I edit all my clips to music, but I, I think it's like the worst thing I do. It's like I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are some things that we participate in. It's a, a self offering. We got oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling. You know, I'm. Oh yeah, I'm getting for sure. On Ted, this part. Ted did a pinched backside grind this week, and I've definitely done a big. Oh yeah, 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 you, yeah, yeah. You, you, No, Kristen sent me one. <laughs> that was <sick. laughs> Oh, the big spin front board. No, the pinch. No, I no, can't the do pinched that backside grind. I thought we. I thought you weren't gonna learn it. I'll try. I'll I mean, fucking fuck. die. We're not, yeah, we're not that good at skating. Yeah. We can't just actually throw them in the pyre. Ryan, shut <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> Ryan, what's yours? <laughs> fuck off. Ooh. Uh, okay. I got the gamification of wall ride and Wally tricks. This is something that oh, I've, yeah. I've kind of noticed yep. in the last like mm-hmm. few months is that Wally's. You know, they came from like this. Ricky Ayola, Eastern Exposure era of oh, skating. Exposure. Like now they're yeah. overexposed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now they're overexposed. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it just was like this this trick that like the rawest of East Coast skaters would do, and then Wait, I guess was, like brought brought to the hold on. No, you hold Bryce on. Bryce Knight's Nottis Copus, like they did wallies in the late eighties. Like it yeah, was, they did, but I've been not been skating that long. I know. Okay, well, I just if you're going to talk about it with. Okay, whatever. Well, <laughs> no, but then they were kind of like brought to the, the high- frame they were in yeah. for a while yeah. was of um, East Coast. It, it, yeah, in the frame. Yeah, exactly. In the frame that like we when we grew up skating and then they were kind of brought to the height of perfection by Jake Johnson, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then now it's just like the weirdest thing. You go to a contest and kids can do like Wally back nose blunt and Ryan's still recovering from Phoenix. Sam. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm on my, I'm on my third funeral pyre. Ryan from, just uh, put Phoenix, Phoenix Am. Am. Yeah. All of it. No, it's like half our skate economy. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what I got. I agree. They've gone overboard. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird thing to me. I don't know. Fabiana Delfino can do no harm. She can wally whatever the fuck. Oh, she I mean, yeah. yeah, there's good skaters who do wally yeah. still, but they just, yeah, I don't know. They just feel like they've been it's game the, to me. It's, yeah, it's not everybody's wallies because it's like, dude, Jake Johnson's still going to give us some, some good wallies. I fucking hope. God if he gives I me hope. one more goddamn clip, I'll be hyped. Um, but it's that, like, sort of figured out, you know, when you when you find out the button, you know, this was yeah, the thing yeah, so with the, the big spin yeah, is what the, I had yeah. my issue with the 50-50. It's like when you take the edge off of it <sighs> and you know it as you've sort of figured out the like secret effortless tip. Yeah. Yeah, I guess more broadly, like it's just the button, like the gamification yeah. of anything. But it's like it feels especially gross when it's like tricks that I don't know. Signal when, a type when those of- those were tricks that skaters that had a certain kind of integrity and originality yeah. did ten years ago, and now when every kid can do them, it's lame. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and Ted, you speak to this a lot too. Um, on 
your um, satirical Instagram page mm -hmm. um, where I think people think that they're going to, I don't know, um, what what's the word, like pander to you or something by giving you like a cool Wally clip with like a body burial and they've got like nicely cuffed dickies on and and they think because they have like a sort of nouveau new york kit on that like you're gonna say yeah nice classic skating man yeah but it's always you know that, i mean i think to your point it's always simulacral it's like it's always I, like i a, become just, more apoplectic when i see things like that because it's like um can we back up and get some definitions yeah. simulacral <laughs> means fake and apoplectic yeah. it means angry <laughs> thank you i haven't gone to grad school yet i appreciate it it's thank fine. you professor beachy um, uh kristen what's yours um unsolicited advice at the skate park. Nice. Yes. Nice. So yes. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because first I just want to acknowledge that if you've given advice to someone at the skate park, myself included, um, you are coming from a great place. But, you know, the path to hell is, you know, paved with good intention, right? So just wanted to, you know, first of all say that like, I'm not immune to this. Sometimes I'll find myself seeing someone that's more of a beginner or it's like another woman or it's a little kid and you know I'll go up there and I'll be like oh hey put your foot here um, and it takes a lot to sort of undo that um, because it's all part of like this savior mentality where you have to like help these other people but what you have to recognize is that they didn't ask for help so that's number one <laughs> and number two like there might be other ways that you could be helpful that isn't like giving them trick tips, especially if they didn't ask for them. Um, so like one could be like, if there's another person at the skate park that's like snaking them over and over again, or you notice that they look a little bit timid and they don't get their turn, you can be like, hey, it's your turn, go for it. Um, there's ways that you can be supportive and helpful and it's not always being like, yo, put your foot here or just land it or can I try your trick switch or something like that. Um, so just wanted to throw that out there as an option for people. and. You know, a lot of times I'll get like a trick tip randomly like yelled at me kind of almost. And I'm like, I don't even know this person's name. I, you know, so maybe introduce yourself, say what's up, tell me your name and pronouns. That would be cool. And then we can be friends. And then once we're friends, if I need help, I'll ask you. And if you want help, I'll help you. So. Also like landing their trick while making eye contact with them is like a sort of microaggressive unsolicited <laughs> advice. <laughs> Here's <laughs> like, how you do it. <laughs> yeah, like these these are really good on that obstacle. You should try them there. <laughs> oh god. I mean it's so naked like their intentions, you know what I mean? It's they're not saying like, "Hey, like I want to like I want to give you like the good fortune and, and the wisdom and the knowledge that I have so that you have a more exciting time on your skateboard. It's like, it's always like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm better than you. So like, <laughs> yeah, but those aren't the really poisonous then, ones. The poisonous ones are people who don't even consider like, you know, I mean, I think the real risk of the overhelping might be the person who actually thinks and is convinced that whatever advice they give is necessarily wanted, right? Like yeah. who don't even yeah. consider in ill intention or don't even consider that they're basking who are just like maybe actually think they're out to do something good and just don't even stop for a second to think like, Oh, how might this feel to the other person? Yeah. And also yeah, just yeah, like yeah. when you're, when you're the recipient of it or you're the one struggling and feeling uncomfortable somehow, like you, there no advice that anyone can give you is good advice. I mean, I remember, I yeah. think what I quit skating just like at the end of eighth grade and, 
for all ninth grade and skate. And one of the reasons is because my friend Zach clapped for a tr- like an axle stall. And I thought that that was condescending. I was like, damn, he, he thinks so little of me that he clapped for my fucking axle stall. And like, that that was the final straw. Like, I mean, I was, I, I clearly had like both airwalks out the door, but like, I was like, I was so hurt by that. And that's just to say that like skateboarding is such a deeply personal thing that like people's like advice or coaching can come across as like outrageously invasive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I had one other, or I guess two other things is number one, maybe consider too that everyone does skateboarding a little differently. And yeah. like, I don't know, I, I've been trying to learn how to switch very heel and I like to get second and third and fourth opinions because I still haven't figured out how to do it right and like land on my bolts and my board. Um, and so I've asked a bunch of people and I've gotten four different responses. So like you're not the authority, just like we're not yeah. the authority on skateboarding except for uh, Mr. Schmitz. And then the second thing I wanted to point out is like, if you wouldn't give that advice to someone that looks like you or is older than you or better than you, then why the fuck do you think I want to hear it? (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Um, uh, Kyle, did you go? No, man, I got a good one. So in 1997, um, 1997's got to go. Get it out of here. No, no, no. This is you. This is a long winded intro, but I'll, I'll skip it a little. But in 1997, uh, a movie called Mouse came out. Um, It was put out by a company called Girl Skateboards. And in the credits of that movie, uh, to to the sweet tunes of John Cougar Mellencamp singing about sucking on chili dogs outside of the Tasty Freeze, Eric Cawson does a backside tail slide, lands on nose wheelie, and rides off this ledge. And doesn't even clear his wheels as he rides off the ledge. It's like a sketchy little nose wheelie off the edge. And it was kind of a funny joke. I want to absolutely burn down all ledge tricks to manuals forever. They got to go. <laughs> they are so played out. It's not, it, it's, it was a joke trick. It's, it's, it's meant to be a joke trick. And it's, I think it's got to go. I've got like 10 or 20 yeah. of those in my career what, for what sure. Do you, yeah. What do you think about, uh, about the over the picnic table to manual? Like, you know, when people do shit, like basically over an obstacle to flat ground manual. I, uh, I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. Um, I don't. I don't know, man. Uh, just see, don't see for, for for me. It's not the Kassin. It comes from like the Tony Hawk uh, pro skater train of uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. school of thought, which is like yeah, you right. just got to fucking combo tricks and Linking. you get more points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just which think is it's fucking cool. We're, we're <laughs> treating it like it's a serious thing now, and it's not. It shouldn't be a serious thing. It's it, it, mm-hmm. sh- it should yeah. It should it should be extra stuff, bonus stuff, like like right before they land in manual you're like oh you're done and then they they go in manual and you go no man yeah like, what you know yeah i thought you were done yeah because it's cocky uh, like i like there was this like <laughs> mark suchu thing where he was talking about like you know how certain tricks aren't classy or something <laughs> like and first of all say calling something classy is the least classless thing you could do but <laughs> like least classy thing you could do but like yeah just being like yeah i got these so good that i can like land on two wheels like what do you think about that that's some that is just like 
gauche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need like to try a harder trick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to see how easy it looks. Like, show me struggle. I want to see. You know. Also, yeah. I just have to say, every week on or every time we record, we don't do this weekly. Um, <laughs> uh, every time we record, month? I'm like, oh, another trick I don't have to learn. So thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say, no, yeah, yeah. While, while we're on the topic of struggle, I, I wanted I, Ted brought this up, but let's do uh, let's do trick challenge. Oh fuck. Okay. Uh, like we all, what are we, we all got? nominating do we, do one? It, I, well, I think we should do Switch Barrel Heel. You threw that out, Christian. You even wanted to oh, learn yeah, it. Oh yeah, because we did the fakey ter- heel. I'm terrible at them. Yeah. yeah. I, I, if I, if I, if I gave it two weeks, I might get some funny results. Is that this one called the drug job. dealer or the white rapper? What? That's what is the white rapper. That's the white rapper. Can we? the drug dealer? Can we actually? The drug dealer is the Nolly V heel. Sorry. Or is it Nolly Big Heel? No, Nolly Burial Heel. As the worst skater. Kevin Davis, shout out. Can I solicit some advice from you? Because you you seem to be like further along in the Switch Burial Heel game than I'll ever be. I will not land that trick. I assure you. Well, now that you've consented to some advice. Maybe I'll give you some advice. Um, Do it on a hip, dude. I'm finding, I don't know if I can best explain this verbally, but I'm finding that you can trade flip, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not making any assumptions here. Thank you. I I know you can switch back tail. That's like about all I know about you. Kristen, maybe Kyle doesn't want your unsolicited advice. I just asked if you can trade flip. Fuck. I'm giving this advice to Mr. Burrow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know how you before you trade flip, it. it feels like there's like pressure between your feet, and then yeah. when you go, it like just releases. Yeah. Like, and it it feels effortless, right? When you do it, right? So like, I'm trying to figure that out with the switch barrel hill. So I'm kind of putting uh, weight on. Are you good if you're regular? I'm regular. Oh, okay. So I identify as switch backside though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> God damn it! I got so- solidarity, Ted. Um, yeah yeah so 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 like my i would be flipping it with my right foot yeah yeah so your right inner uh the left part of your right foot i'm putting pressure there and then uh putting my uh back foot in just like a switch front shove position or front shove position kind of where your foot is sort of back so i'm kind of trying to create uh counter pressure on the toe side and the heel side of my board so the toe side of my board with my front foot or what is my front foot um on a switch barrel hill and then my back foot on the tail is on the opposite side. Yeah. And yeah, so yes. when I find that pressure kind of towards the inside a little bit too, I, that's how I can get like a, a really good flick that doesn't feel like I'm like really putting any effort in. It just kind of goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to play with that. and But so far I can only land on my nose part of my board. Like, I don't know, also going back to, it reminds me of learning tray flips in a lot of ways. When I first learned how to tray flip, I'd only yeah. land on my nose because I didn't know how to jump straight up. So. Yeah, that's kind of the struggle right now is that I'm I'm getting the, a good spin, but I'm just landing on my nose still. So I got to jump the right way. So, so I was going to say, for me, switch barrel heel just always goes like one to two feet behind me. Yeah, I I've got to jump land. straight fucking back on <laughs> yeah. that one. Lateral leap. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> we should we all need to like devote every session, like at least 10 minutes over the next two weeks to doing to trying it. And you do not get to opt out with a nolly varial heel. <laughs> Dude, that seems hard. I have an amazing okay. nolly V heel to show you guys that I've done, but um, I th- this is a this is a trick that I can do. It's just 
absolute dog shit. How long happens. do we have? What do we got two here? Weeks. Are we... No, we're going to do it two weeks. We yeah, got two, two weeks. weeks. Or, or whenever the next time we record is, I Hang guess. on to a gate or something, Kyle. Do we, yeah. Yeah, do I get a handicap for, <laughs> for being there? <laughs> Alright, okay, no, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to I'm gonna stomp one. And dude, you can fakey <laughs> heal, gotta, dude. If you can fakey heal, you can do anything. We got to find the we got to find the one of my favorite one of all time is the one that Keenan did over that little five or six stair rail in downtown LA. Oh my yeah, god, remember? My, that's I'm gonna post that. My that's, favorite that's one of all time up. is Carlos Rubiero on his Instagram yesterday. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it is not. Dude, what is up with what people? Some cut. people can get that fucking uh. trick like six feet off the yeah, ground. Diego Nahara. Why? Why is it that trick that they can get so goddamn high? It, it's like a, a fucking springboard. They, yeah, I'm yeah. like. It's weird looking. It's, crazy. it's like their board launches their fucking body <laughs> off the ground like an ejector seat. A- anyways, <laughs> right, you're going to so- see a real fucking gross, disgusting Switch V heel from me. For everyone out there listening, send us your Switch V heels. Uh, um, we're all going to learn this together because I don't think anyone here except Ted Schmitz can do it. Um, no giving I, advice unless someone asks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can give you. I can give you advice on how to just completely botch them. Um, all right, I got. I, I did have one though. And you may disagree with this, but you know what? I am done with little kids being sponsored or promoted. Oh, I, define I, little kids. Cosine. Under twelve. I, I, no, I believe <laughs> it's under the age of sixteen or. Parent runs your Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's monitored? What if it's just monitored, Ryan? Dude, it 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 it's just one. It, we we have a problem speaking about skateboarding and labor right now. Already, the conversation oh. gets worse when you add children into it. And we're talking about promoting these things as as and attaching them to product and attaching them to events and stuff as part of the show. Um, it, it is it is always like a novelty and and a sort of a potential is tacked onto them um, where it's saying when you when you see a little kid uh, uh, be sponsored and, and, and pushed out or propped up, they're say, they're not saying, um, you know, what a great skater. They're saying, oh, you know how amazing this skater is going to be. Yeah. Like, it's the next guy. Look at this investment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then and then it also creates a sort of um, hijacked uh, adolescence mm-hmm. um, f- f- on on the child's part. Um, it's the tennis yeah. phenomenon. As, as a as a formerly uh, you were sp- yeah, I was a uh, sponsored child, and yeah, that shit fucked me up and took like a decade. To, yeah, to wash you, the complex off of me. So yeah, exactly. I co-signed that. Yeah. Well, who was your and, first sponsor, Ryan? How old were you? Uh, I got on Nike Flow and Stussy from Robbie Jeffers when I was like 13 years old when Nike SB first started, when it was like Pat Rakestraw and Daniel Shimizu and Chet Childress. Wow. Yeah. Danny Supa, right? And then I got on Deluxe, uh, pretty young, like 14 14, or something. Yeah. 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 That's the thing is like, I totally agree. And I sort of- I didn't even have social media either. So I, I think you can, you can give little kids- gear to, to to help them along their way. I just don't believe in showing them and promoting them like from the brand side. Like I don't think they should be front facing or you know what I mean? It's like 
you know, I think like Tyshawn when he was younger, I think he he got like the Harold Hunter sponsorship. I think he was Toy Machine Flow. Like that's that's all fine. But when you're using it to sell it to as part of your show, I, I think it creates kind of a really kind of weird view of of how they're supposed to go into skating with with a view of maybe it's like maybe- productivity at the core of it instead of yeah. I don't know, dude. Little kids are supposed to fuck off, like, you know. And I know, except maybe sound like an old guy, but it's like, dude, you. There's so much of your life that fucking sucks. Well, but ass but Ted, part of that kid. is just the sportification of. I mean, that's what all athletics are, right? Think about gymnasts. Think about tennis players. Those kids are funneled into the system at age like seven or eight, and we can or like NCAA yeah. players who aren't making yeah. any money. Yeah, it's <laughs> and just it, being exploited. Yeah. And that's also oh yeah, been, dude. College basketball's fucked, or yeah. all college, sports. all college sports. Yeah, yeah. and that's also but, been a huge sorry, part Kyle. of. I mean, right. that's you know, Eric Dressen turned pro at like eleven. You know, right. like yeah. like oh that's also and, been such a huge part of skateboarding from like professional skateboarding from the beginning, and it's probably always sucked. You know, yeah, like yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But Kristen wasn't the the winner of the International Women's Day, like the the Vans bowl event wasn't she weren't you out in la for a vans contest at the combi bowl oh the combi contest yeah yeah wasn't she like 11 lizzie won it oh lizzie won but there was like girls that were in the contest that were pretty small yeah um pretty young um yeah i would say i have a little bit of a different thought i you know i told i agree in the sense that like kids can get product and kids can like go and skate. I think kids should be able to go and skate events and have opportunities. I do think like school comes first. I think like, you know, having your adolescence, being able to be a kid. Um, But I've seen this a few times in skateboarding too, which I think is really disturbing is that we forget that people that are under the age of 18, like I know that's just like a law, but like um, in a lot of ways, like you're still developing and learning and growing. And even with skaters that are like 14, 15 years old, you know, I get nervous about the things that they're like exposed to and the things like, I don't know. I read an interview with like Cater where they're like asking him about like, have you kissed a girl yet? And like, you know, talking about like pocket pussies and like different stuff like that. And I'm like, this is like a child. Like, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. funny. Like we need to have good boundaries with young people. And especially in the era of like, you know, the stuff that Jules Lynn came out with about Neil Hendricks and there's Brian Patch and there's like a lot of abuse. Like I get nervous about young people having these careers in skateboarding when they're younger because they're so impressionable they're so they're so easily manipulated i guess mm-hmm. in that yeah. scenario and especially if they have parents that are really trying to like push them into it that's like the other thing too is from you know abuse aside like let's talk about um young people and their development and do they really have a choice like just as somebody that's worked in youth skateboarding for like you know the last like 12 years i've seen so many kids jump into skateboarding their parents get an instagram account they have a bajillion followers they're promoting their kid and then their kid quits and plays football yeah and that's fine and that's awesome but it's like what a joke that was like what if that kid just skated for fun and you let that kid be a kid maybe they'd still enjoy skating yeah yeah there's something pure about just kind of having a good day skating or, or, or wanting to skate because you had a good day the day before and then, you know, kind of just following that thread, you know, just letting it kind of be intuitive and organic um, and not having some motive outside of leisure, connection, community and culture. You know, I just I, I don't I don't I just don't feel comfortable with where it's at. There's also just like a really dark way to look at this, which is like 
skateboarding is not a good way to make a lot of money and there's a very few amount of people who do make good money and if you're gonna like force your kid into uh <clears throat> some weird like ca long-term career strategy like skateboarding is not the one that you should go with. oh yeah yeah i yeah, know yeah you're setting them up for like if this <laughs> the worst kind of like childhood celebrity complex plus like the least Sure. Yeah, there's like investment. there's like thirty people that make like a, a what like a million dollars. And there's probably three like three hundred burnouts at like age yeah, eighteen. Exactly. Oh fuck. Yeah. Me. I also think if you look at like other sports, it's like I sometimes I would think about this too, because I used to run like skateboarding events for kids and stuff and yeah. my whole thing was like I would just get all the prizes and divide them up and maybe we'd have like one or two winners, but I tried to give all the kids something because at the end of the day, yeah. kids that don't win just cry and then it's like this big deal. But then I think yeah. about like if you play baseball as a little kid or football or soccer, it's like nobody's like sponsoring you with like baseball bats and soccer balls. Like those yeah. kids, yeah, yeah. their parents just like buy them the gear and they go and they play and like their expectation as a kid is just to try their best and have fun and and all that. And I think that's why kids really love it and they like team sports and stuff like that. I think that's what what's attractive. And I think when we start like awarding kids with these carrots yeah like i don't yeah. know there's this pretty interesting book called drive by daniel pink that i read like a while ago when i first became a manager and it's all about what drives people and it's just like it's been proven time and again that giving people a carrot that they win just like sets them up for failure because they don't enjoy what they're actually doing yeah they enjoy getting the prize and when they don't get the prize they cry or they're just always trying to get the next prize and they don't enjoy what they're doing. And I think why we love skateboarding is we just fucking love the struggle and learning new shit and like doing it. That we is, don't give a shit yeah. about what we win. That is so such it's a setting good, kids up for that. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. That's such no, a good, good point that you made about um, like how regular sports have a team thing and they like, like the thing with skateboarding always has been like, oh, are you on it? Are you sponsored? Like, and sponsored yes. is so crass. Yes. You know, it's not like yeah. like belonging even to a team. It's like, are you endorsing anything? Are people yeah. paying you? And like, that's something that as a kid, like that's so your nice. marker. Like when you're like 11 or 12, you're like, am I good enough to be sponsored? Does this, you know, like that's so- Yeah, am I good enough to have somebody give me something? Yeah. Yeah, like think about college sports. Like they don't even, they're not even allowed to have endorsements. Yeah. And those yeah, are like yeah. fucking more adults. Those are like 18 to 22 year olds, right? Yeah. Like yeah. think Which about is it also for like compared to others. The yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, too. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Guys, but, I'm sorry. I mean, dude, college <laughs> basketball is the thing that just pisses me off more than fucking anything. I don't watch it. I don't participate, but it is the most corrupt uh, corporate practice I've ever fucking seen that these people don't get paid and that these fucking million dollar multinationals are just fucking cashing in on the backs of their labor. It's completely corrupt. and fucked Yeah, it's, it's fucked in other ways for sure. Yeah. Wait, so you're talking about skateboarding or college basketball? <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I just have I we so have we matured into a different podcast in the last <laughs> yeah. three hours. Well, who you got We're for the next draft? Yeah, let's wrap this thing up. All right, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Love you guys. Bye. Good luck Bye. on this switch V heels, everybody. Oh. Love you. Just for the record, there's no way I can land that trick. There's no, you're yes, you can. Yeah, you're I right. really no. firmly. No, but is, you can are, land on something that are, turns some way. There's no way you could Almost zero percent chance mode right now. Dude, Dude I'm I, about to growth mindset. You can't do it yet. You're gonna I, do it. It's I'm, coming. Yeah, I don't think I can do it, but I'm gonna try my ass off this next two weeks. So That's what I like to, to fucking hear. That's yeah. what I like to hear.